0: Hi and welcome to another story and today we have part one of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets by J.K. Rowling Starting from the very beginning, chapter one, The Worst Birthday Not for the first time an argument had broken out over breakfast at number four Privet Drive Mr. Vernon Dursley had been woken in the early hours of the morning by a loud hooting noise from his nephew Harry's room Third time this week, he roared across the table If you can't control that owl, it'll have to go Harry tried yet again to explain "'She's bored,' he said. "'She's used to flying around outside. "'If I could just let her out at night.' "'Do I look stupid?' snarled Uncle Vernon, "'a bit of fried egg dangling from his bushy moustache. "'I don't know what'll happen if the owls let out.' He exchanged dark looks with his wife Petunia. Harry tried to argue back, but his words were drowned by a long, loud belch from the Dursley son, Dudley. "'I want more bacon!' "'There's more in the frying pan, Sweetums,' said Aunt Petunia. "'tuning misty eyes onto her massive son. "'We must feed you up while we've got the chance. "'I don't like the sound of that school food.' "'Nonsense, Petunia. "'I never went hungry when I was at smeltings,' "'said Uncle Vernon, yet heartily. "'Dudley gets enough, don't you, son?' "'Dudley, who was so large his bottom "'drooped over either side of the kitchen chair, "'grinned and turned to Harry. "'Pass the frying pan!' "'You've forgotten the magic word,' said Harry irritably. "'The effect of this simple sentence "'on the rest of the family was incredible. "'Dudley gasped.' and fell off his chair with a crash that shook the whole kitchen. Mrs Dursley gave a small scream and clapped her hands to her mouth. Mr Dursley jumped to his feet, veins throbbing in his temples. I meant please, said Harry quickly. I didn't mean, what have I told you, thundered his uncle, spraying spit over the table, about saying the M word in our house. But I, how dare you threaten Dudley, roared Uncle Vernon, pounding the table with his fist. I just... I just... I warned you! "'I will not tolerate mention of your abnormality under this roof!' "'Harry stared from his purple-faced uncle to his pale aunt, "'who was trying to heave Dudley to his feet. "'All right,' said Harry. "'All right!' Uncle Vernon sat down again, "'breathing like a winded rhinoceros "'and watching Harry closely out of the corners of his small, sharp eyes.' Ever since Harry had come home for the summer holidays, Uncle Vernon had been treating him like a bomb that might go off at any moment, because Harry wasn't a normal boy. As a matter of fact, he was not—he as not normal as it is possible to be. Harry Potter was a wizard, a wizard fresh from his first year at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, and if the Dursleys were unhappy to have him back for the holidays, it was nothing to how Harry felt. He missed Hogwarts so much, it was like having a constant stomachache. He missed the castle, with its secret passageways and ghosts, his lessons, though perhaps not Snape, the potions master, the post arriving by owl, eating banquets in the Great Hall, sleeping in his four-poster bed in the Tower Dormitory, visiting the gamekeeper, Hagrid, in his cabin in the grounds next to the Forbidden Forest, and especially Quidditch, the most popular sport in the wizarding world, six tall go- goalposts, four flying balls, and fourteen players on broomsticks. All Harry's spellbooks, his wand, robes, cauldron, and top-of-the-range Nimbus 2000 broomstick had been locked in a cupboard under the stairs by Uncle Vernon the instant Harry had come home. What did the Dursleys care if Harry lost his place in the House Quidditch team because he hasn't practised all summer? What was it to the Dursleys if Harry went back to school without any of his homework done? The Dursleys were what wizards called muggles, not a drop of magical blood in their veins, and as far as they were concerned, having a wizard in the family was a matter of deepest shame. Uncle Vernon had even padlocked Harry's owl, Hedwig, inside her cage to stop her carrying messages to anyone in the wizarding world. Harry looked nothing like the rest of the family. Uncle Vernon was large and neckless, with an enormous black moustache. Aunt Petunia was horse-faced and bony. Dudley was blonde, pink and porky. Harry, on the other hand, was small and skinny with brilliant green eyes and jet-black hair that was always untidy. He wore round glasses and on his forehead was a thin, lightning-shaped scar. It was this scar that made Harry so particularly unusual, even for a wizard. This scar was the only hint of Harry's very mysterious past, of the reason he had been left on the Dursley's doorstep eleven years before. At the age of one, Harry had somehow survived a curse from the greatest dark sorcerer of all time, Lord Voldemort, whose name most witches and wizards still feared to speak. Harry's parents had died in Voldemort's attack but Harry had escaped with his lightning scar and somehow nobody understood why Voldemort's powers had been destroyed the instant he had failed to kill Harry. So Harry had been brought up by his dead mother's sister and her husband. He had spent ten years with the Dursleys never understanding why he kept making odd things happen without meaning to believing the Dursley story that he had got his scar in the car crash which had killed his parents. And then, exactly a year ago Hogwarts had written to Harry, and the whole story had come out. Harry had taken up his place at wizard school, where he and his scar were famous. But now the school year was over, and he was back with the Dursleys for the summer, back to being treated like a dog that had rolled in something smelly. The Dursleys hadn't even remembered that today happened to be Harry's 12th birthday. Of course, his hopes hadn't been high. They'd never given him a proper present, let alone a cake. But to ignore it completely... At that moment, Uncle Vernon cleared his throat importantly and said, Now, as we all know, today is a very important day. Harry looked up, hardly daring to believe it. This could well be the day I make the biggest deal of my career, said Uncle Vernon. Harry went back to his toast. Of course, he thought bitterly. Uncle Vernon was talking about the stupid dinner party. He'd been talking of nothing else for a fortnight. Some rich builder and his wife were coming to dinner, and Uncle Vernon was hoping to get a huge order from him. "'Uncle Vernon's company made drills. "'I think we should run through the stretch schedule one more time,' said Uncle Vernon. "'We should all be in a position at eight o'clock. "'Petunia, you will be in the lounge,' said Aunt Petunia promptly, "'waiting to welcome them graciously to our home. "'Good, good. And Dudley? Uh, "'I'll be waiting to open the door.' "'Dudley put out a foul, simpering smile. "May, "'May I take your coats, Mr and Mrs Mason?' "'They'll love him,' cried Aunt Petunia rapturously. "'Excellent, Dudley,' said Uncle Vernon.' "'Then he rounded to Harry. "'And you?' "'I'll be in my bedroom, making no noise and pretending I'm not there,' "'said Harry tonelessly. "'Exactly,' said Uncle Vernon nastily. "'I will lead them into the lounge, introduce you, Petunia, and pour them drinks.' "'At eight 15, "'I'll announce dinner,' said Aunt Petunia. "'And, Dudley, you'll say?' "'May I take you through to the dining-room, Mrs. Mason?' "'said Dudley, offering his fat arm to an invisible woman.' "'My perfect little gentleman,' sniffled Aunt Petunia. "'And you?' "'said Uncle Vernon viciously to Harry. "'I'll be in my room, making no noise and pretending I'm not there,' "'said Harry dully. "'Precisely. "'Now, we should aim to get in a few good compliments at dinner. "'Petunia, any ideas?' "'Vernon tells me you're a wonderful golfer, Mr Mason. "'Do tell me where you bought your dress, Mrs Mason.' "'Perfect. "'Dudley, how about uh, we had to write an essay about our hero at school, Mr Mason, "'and I wrote about you?' "'This was too much for both Aunt Petunia and Harry.' Aunt Petunia burst into tears and hugged her son, while Harry ducked under the table so he wouldn't sit, they wouldn't see him laughing. "'And you, boy!' Harry fought to keep his face straight as he emerged. "'I'll be in my room, making no noise and pretending I'm not there,' he said. "'Too right you will,' said Uncle Vernon forcefully. "'The Masons don't know anything about you, and it's going to stay that way. "'When dinner's over, you take Mrs. Mason back to the lounge for coffee, Petunia, "'and I'll bring the subject round to drills. "'With any luck, I'll have the deal signed and sealed before the news at ten. We'll be shopping for holiday homes in Mallorca this time tomorrow. Harry couldn't feel too excited about this. He didn't think the Dursleys would like him any better in Mallorca than they did in Privet Drive. Right, I'm off into town to pick up the dinner jackets for Dudley and me, and you, he snarled at Harry, you stay out of your aunt's way while she's cleaning. Harry left through the back door. It was a brilliant, sunny day. He crossed the lawn, slumped down onto the garden bench, and sang under his breath. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to me. No cards, no presents, and he would be spending the evening pretending not to exist. He gazed miserably into the hedge. He had never felt so lonely, more than anything else at Hogwarts, more even than playing Quidditch. Harry missed his best friends, Ron Weasley and Hermione Granger. They, however, didn't seem to be missing him at all. Neither of them had written to him all summer, even though Ron had said he was going to ask Harry to come and stay. Countless times, Harry had been on the point of unlocking Hedwig's cage by magic and sending her to Ron and Hermione with a letter, but it wasn't worth the risk. Underage wizards weren't allowed to use magic outside school. Harry hadn't told the Dursleys this. He knew it was, the on- it was only their terror that he might turn them all into dung beetles that stopped them locking him in the cupboard under the stairs with his wand and broomstick. For the first couple of weeks back, Harry had enjoyed muttering nonsense words under his breath and watching Dudley tearing out of his room as fast as his fat legs would carry him. But the long silence from Ron and Hermione had made Harry feel so cut off from the magical world that even taunting Dudley had lost its appeal, and now Ron and Hermione had forgotten his birthday. What wouldn't he give now for a message from Hogwarts, from any witch or wizard? He'd almost be glad of a sight of his arch-enemy, Draco Malfoy, just to be sure it hadn't all been a dream. Not that his whole year at Hogwarts had been fun, At the very end of last term, Harry had come face to face with none other than Lord Voldemort himself. Voldemort might be a ruin of his former self, but he was still terrifying, still cunning, still determined to regain power. Harry had slipped through Voldemort's clutches for a second time, but it had been a narrow escape. And even now, weeks later, Harry kept waking in the night, drenched in cold sweat, wondering where Voldemort was now, remembering his livid face, his wide, mad eyes. Harry suddenly sat bolt upright on the garden bench. He'd been staring absent-mindedly into the hedge, and the hedge was staring back. Two enormous green eyes had appeared among the leaves. Harry jumped to his feet, and just as a jeering voice floated across the lawn, "'I know what day it is,' sang Dudley, waddling towards him. The huge eyes blinked and vanished. "'What?' said Harry, not taking his eyes off the spot where they had been. "'I know what day it is,' Dudley repeated, coming right up to him. "'Well done,' said Harry.' So you finally learn the days of the week. Today's your birthday, sneered Dudley. How come you haven't got any cards? Haven't you even got any friends at that freak place? Better not let your mum hear you talking about my school, said Harry coolly. Dudley hitched up his trousers, which were slipping down his fat bottom. Why are you staring at the hedge, he said suspiciously. I'm trying to decide what would be the best spell to set it on fire, said Harry. Dudley stumbled backwards at once, a look of panic on his fat face. you you can't. Dad told told you're not to do magic. He said he'll chuck you out of the house and you haven't got anywhere else to go. You haven't got any friends to take you. Jiggery-pokery, said Harry in a fierce voice. Hocus-pocus. Squiggly-wiggly. Mum! howled Dudley, tripping over his feet as he dashed back towards the house. Mum! He's doing you-know-what! Harry paid dearly for this moment of fun. As neither Dudley nor the hedge was in any way hurt, Aunt Petunia knew he hadn't really done magic, but he, had, he still had to duck as she aimed a heavy blow at his head with a soapy frying pan. Then she gave him work to do, with a promise he wouldn't eat again until he'd finished. While Dudley lolled around watching and eating ice creams, Harry cleaned the windows, washed the car, mowed the lawn, trimmed the flower beds, pruned and watered the roses and repainted the garden bench. The sun blazed overhead, burning the back of his neck. Harry knew he shouldn't have risen to Dudley's bait, but Dudley had said the very thing Harry had been thinking himself. Maybe he didn't have any friends at Hogwarts. Wish they could see famous Harry Potter now, he thought savagely, as he spread manure on the flowerbeds, his back aching, sweat running down his face. It was half past seven in the evening, when at last, exhausted, he heard Aunt Petunia calling him, ''Get in here and walk on the newspaper.'' Harry moved gladly into the shade of the gleaming kitchen, On top of the fridge stood tonight's pudding, a huge mound of whipped cream and sugared violets. A joint of roast pork was sizzling in the oven. "'Eat quickly! The masons will be here soon!' snapped Aunt Petunia, pointing to the two slices of bread and a lump of cheese on the kitchen table. She was already wearing a salmon pink cocktail dress. Harry washed his hands and bolted down his pitiful supper. The moment he had finished, Aunt Petunia whisked away his plate. "'Upstairs! Hurry!' As he passed the door to the living room, Harry caught a glimpse of Uncle Vernon and Dudley in bow ties and dinner jackets. He had only just reached the upstairs landing when the doorbell rang and Uncle Vernon's furious face appeared at the foot of the stairs. Remember, boy? One sound. Harry crossed to his bedroom on tiptoe, slipped inside, closed the door, and turned to collapse onto his bed. The trouble was, there was already someone sitting on it. Chapter 2. Dobby's Warning Harry managed not to shout out, but it was a close thing. The little creature on the bed had large, bat-like ears and bulging green eyes the size of tennis balls. Harry knew instantly that this was what had been watching him out of the garden hedge that morning. As they stared at each other, Harry heard Dudley's voice from the hall. "'May I take your coats, Mr and Mrs Mason?' The creature slipped off the bed and bowed so low that the end of its long, thin nose touched the carpet. Harry noticed that it was wearing what looked like an old pillowcase, with rips for arms and leg holes. "Uh, hello, said Harry nervously. Harry Potter, said the creature, in a high-pitched voice Harry was sure would carry down the stairs. So long has Dobby wanted to meet you, sir. Such an honour it F-thank you, said Harry, edging along the wall and sinking into his desk chair, next to Hedwig, who was asleep in her large cage. He wanted to ask, what are you? But thought it would sound too rude, so instead he said, who are you? "'Dobby, sir, just Dobby. "'Dobby the house-elf,' said the creature. "'Oh, really?' said Harry. "Uh, "'I don't want to be rude or anything, "'but this isn't a great time for me to have a house-elf in my bedroom.' "'Aunt Petunia's high, false laugh sounded from the living room. "'The elf hung his head. "'Not that I'm not pleased to meet you,' said Harry quickly, "'but uh, is there any particular reason you're here?' "'Oh, yes, sir,' said Dobby earnestly. "'Dobby has come to tell you, sir. "'It is difficult, sir. "'Dobby wonders where to begin.' Sit down, said Harry politely, pointing at the bed. To his horror, the elf burst into tears, very noisy tears. Sit sit down, he wailed. Never, 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 ever. Harry thought he heard the voices downstairs falter. I'm sorry, he whispered. I didn't mean to offend you or anything. Offend Dobby, choked the elf. Dobby has never been asked to sit down by a wizard, like an equal. Harry, trying to say shh, "'and look comforting at the same time "'ushered Dobby back onto the bed, "'where he sat, hiccuping, hiccuping, "'looking like a large and very ugly doll. "'And at last he managed to control himself "'and sat with his great eyes fixed on Harry "'in an expression of watery adoration. "'You can't have met many decent wizards,' said Harry, "'trying to cheer him up. "'Dobby shook his head. "'Then without warning he leapt up "'and started banging his head furiously on the window, "'shouting, "'Bad Dobby! Bad Dobby!' "'Don't! What are you doing?' Harry hissed, springing up and pulling Dobby back onto the bed. Hedwig had woken up with a particularly loud screech and was beating her wings wildly against the bars of her cage. "'Dobby had to punish himself, sir,' said the elf, who had gone slightly cross-eyed. "'Dobby almost spoke ill of his family, sir.' "'Your family? The wizard family? Dobby served, sir. "'Dobby is a house-elf, bound to serve one house and one family forever. "'Do you know you're here? Do they know you're here?' asked Harry curiously. Dobby shuddered. "'Oh, no, sir. No. Dobby will have to punish himself most grievously for coming to see you, sir. Dobby will have to shut his ears in the oven door for this, if they ever knew, sir. But won't they notice if you shut your ears in the oven door? Dobby doubts it, sir. Dobby is always having to punish himself for something. They let Dobby get on with it, sir. Sometimes they remind me to do extra punishments. But why don't you leave? Escape?' A house-elf must be set free, sir, and the family will never set Dobby free. Dobby will serve the family until he dies, sir. Harry stared, and I thought I was hard done by staying here for another four weeks, he said. This makes the Dursleys sound almost human. Can't anyone help you? Can't I? Almost at once, Harry wished he hadn't spoken. Dobby dissolved again into wails of gratitude. Please, Harry whispered frantically, please be quiet. If the Dursleys hear anything, if they know you're here... "'Harry Potter asks if he can help Dobby. "'Dobby has heard of your greatness, sir, "'but of your goodness Dobby never knew.' "'Harry, who was feeling distinctly hot in the face, said, "'Whatever you've heard about my greatness is a load of rubbish. "'I'm not even top of my year at Hogwarts. "'That's Hermione, she... "'But he stopped quickly, "'because thinking about Hermione was painful. "'Harry Potter is humble and modest,' said Dobby reverently, "'his orb-like eyes aglow. "'Harry Potter speaks not of his triumph over "'he who must not be named.' Voldemort, said Harry. Dobby clapped his hands over his bat ears and moaned, Ah, speak not the name, sir, speak not the name. Sorry, said Harry quickly. I know lots of people don't like it. My friend Ron, he stopped again. Thinking about Ron was painful too. Dobby leaned towards Harry, his eyes wide as headlamps. Dobby heard tell, he said hoarsely, that Harry Potter met the Dark Lord for a second time, just weeks ago, that Harry Potter escaped yet again. Harry nodded and Dobby's eyes suddenly shone with tears. Ah, sir, he gasped, dabbing his face with a corner of the grubby pillowcase he was wearing. Harry Potter is valiant and bold. He was, has braved so many dangers already, but Dobby has come to protect Harry Potter, to warn him. Even if he does have to shut his ears in the oven door later, Harry Potter must not go back to Hogwarts. There was a silence broken only by the chink of knives and forks from downstairs, and the distant rumble of Uncle Vernon's voice. ''What?'' Harry stammered. ''But I've got to go back. Term starts on September, the 1st. It's all that's keeping me going. You don't know what it's like here. I don't belong here. I belong in your world, at Hogwarts.'' ''No, no, no,'' squeaked Dobby, shaking his head so hard his ears flapped. ''Harry Potter must stay where he is safe. He is too great, too good to lose. If Harry Potter goes back to Hogwarts, he will be in mortal danger.'' ''Why?'' said Harry in surprise. There is a plot, Harry Potter, a plot to make most terrible things happen at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry this year, whispered Dobby, suddenly trembling all over. Dobby has known it for months, sir. Harry Potter must not put himself in peril. He is too important, sir. What terrible things, said Harry at once. Who's plotting them? Dobby made a funny choking noise and then banged his head madly against the wall. All right, cried Harry, grabbing the elf's arm to stop him. You can't say, I understand, but why are you warning me? A sudden, unpleasant thought struck him. Hang on, this hasn't got anything to do with Vol- Sorry, with you-know-who-has-it. You could just shake or nod, he added hastily, as Dobby's head tilted worryingly close to the wall again. Slowly, Dobby shook his head. Not, not he who must not be named, sir. But Dobby's eyes were wide, and he seemed to be trying to give Harry a hint. Harry, however, was completely at sea. He hasn't got a brother, has he? Dobby shook his head, his eyes wider than ever. Well then- I can't think who else would have a chance of making horrible things happen at Hogwarts, said Harry. I mean, there's Dumbledore, for one thing. You know who Dumbledore is, don't you? Dobby bowed his head. Albus Dumbledore is the greatest headmaster Hogwarts has ever had. Dobby knows it, sir. Dobby has heard Dumbledore's powers rival those of he who must not be named at his height of his strength. But, sir, Dobby's voice dropped to an urgent whisper, there are powers. Dumbledore doesn't. "'Power's no decent wizard.' "'And before Harry could stop him, "'Dobby bounded off the bed, seized Harry's desk lamp, "'and started beating himself around the head "'with ear-splitting yelps. "'A sudden silence fell downstairs. Two seconds later, Harry, heart-fudding madly, "'heard Uncle Vernon coming into the hall, calling, "'Dudley, must have left his television on again, "'the little tyke!' "'Quick, in the wardrobe,' hissed Harry, "'stuffing Dobby in, shutting the door "'and flinging himself onto the bed "'just as the door handle turned.' "'What the devil are you doing?' said Uncle Vernon, through gritted teeth, "'his face horribly close to Harry's. "'You've just ruined the punchline of my Japanese golfer joke. "'One more sound and you'll wish you'd never been born, boy!' "'He stomped, flat-footed from the room. "'Shaking, Harry let Dobby out of the wardrobe. "'See what it's like here,' he said. "'See why I've got to go back to Hogwarts. "'It's the only place I've got, well, I think I've got friends.' "'Friends who don't even write to Harry Potter?' said Dobby shyly. "'I expect they've just been... Hang on, said Harry, frowning. How do you know my friends haven't been writing to me? Dobby shuffled his feet. Harry Potter mustn't be angry with Dobby. Dobby did it for the best. Have you been stopping my letters? Dobby has them here, sir, said the elf. Stepping nimbly out of Harry's reach, he pulled a thick wad of envelopes from the inside of the pillowcase he was wearing. Harry could make out Hermione's neat writing, Ron's untidy scrawl, and even a scribble that looked as though it was from the Hogwarts gamekeeper, Hagrid. Dobby blinked anxiously up at Harry. Harry Potter mustn't be angry. Dobby hoped if Harry Potter thought his friends had forgotten him, Harry Potter might not want to go back to school, sir. Harry wasn't listening. He made a grab for the letters, but Dobby jumped out of reach. Harry Potter will have them, sir, if he gives Dobby his word that he will not return to Hogwarts. Ah, Sir, this is a danger you must not face. Say you won't go back, sir. No, said Harry angrily. Give me my friend's letters. Then Harry Potter leaves Dobby no choice, said the elf sadly. Before Harry could move, Dobby had darted to the bedroom door, pulled it open and sprinted down the stairs. Mouth dry, stomach lurching, Harry sprang after him, trying not to make a sound. He jumped at the last six stairs, landing cat-like on the hall carpet, looking around for Dobby. From the dining room he heard Uncle Vernon saying, Tell Petunia that very funny story about those American plumbers, Mr. Mason. She's been dying to hear... Harry ran up the hall into the kitchen and felt his stomach disappear. Aunt Petunia's masterpiece of a pudding, the mountain of cream and sugared violets, was floating up near the ceiling. On top of a cupboard, in the corner, crouched Dobby. No, croaked Harry. Please, they'll kill me. Harry Potter must say he's not going back to school. Dobby, please, say it, sir. I can't. Dobby gave him a tragic look. Then Dobby must do it, sir, for Harry Potter's own good. The pudding fell to the floor with a heart-stopping crash. Cream splattered the windows and walls as the dish shattered with a crack like a whip. Dobby vanished. There were screams from the dining room, and Uncle Vernon burst into the kitchen to find Harry, rigid with shock, covered from head to foot in Aunt Petunia's pudding. At first it looked as though Uncle Vernon would manage to gloss the whole thing over. Just our nephew, very disturbed, meeting strangers upsets him, so we kept him upstairs he shooed the shocked Masons back into the dining room, promised Harry he would flay him to within an inch of his life when the Masons had left, and handed him a mop. Aunt Petunia dug some ice cream out of the freezer and Harry, still shaking, started scrubbing the kitchen clean. Uncle Vernon might still have been able to make his deal if it hadn't been for the owl. Aunt Petunia was just handing around a box of after-dinner mints when a huge barn owl swooped through the dining room window, dropped a letter on Mrs Mason's head, and swooped out again. Mrs. Mason screamed like a banshee and ran from the house, shouting about lunatics. Mr. Mason stayed just long enough to tell the Dursleys that his wife was mortally afraid of birds of all shapes and sizes, and to ask whether this was their idea of a joke. Harry stood in the kitchen, clutching the mop for support as Uncle Vernon advanced on him, a demonic glint in his tiny eyes. "'Read it!' he hissed evilly, brandishing the letter the owl had delivered. "'Go on, read it!' Harry took it. It did not contain birthday greetings.' Dear Mr. Potter, we have received intelligence that a hover charm was used at your place of residence this evening at 12 minutes past nine. As you know, underage wizards are not permitted to perform spells outside school, and further spell work on your part may lead to expulsion from said school. Decree for the reasonable restriction of underage sorcery, 1875, paragraph C. We would also ask you to remember that any magical activity which risks notice by members of the non-magical community muggles is a serious offence under Section 13 of the International Confederation of Warlocks, Statute of Secrecy. Enjoy your holidays. Yours sincerely, Matilda Hotkirk, Improper use of magic office, Ministry of Magic. Harry looked up from the letter and gulped. You didn't tell us. You weren't allowed to use magic outside school, said Uncle Vernon, a mad gleam dancing in his eyes. Forgot to mention it. Slipped your mind, I dare say. He was bearing down on Harry like a great bulldog. All his teeth bared. Well, I've got news for you, boy. I'm locking you up. You're never going back to that school, never. And if you try and magic yourself out, they'll expel you. And laughing like a maniac, he dragged Harry back upstairs. Uncle Vernon was as bad as his word. The following morning, he said he paid a man to fit bars on Harry's window. He himself fitted the cat flap in the bedroom door so that small amounts of food could be pushed inside three times a day. They let Harry out to use the bathroom morning and evening. Otherwise. He was locked in his room around the clock. Three days later the Dursleys were showing no sign of relenting, and Harry couldn't see any way out of this situation. He lay on his bed watching the sun sinking behind the bars on the window, and wondering miserably what was going to happen to him. What was the good of magicking himself out of his room if Hogwarts would expel him for doing it? Yet life at Privet Drive had reached an all time low. Now the Dursleys knew they weren't going to wake up as fruit bats, he had lost his only weapon. Dobby might have saved Harry from horrible happenings at Hogwarts, but the way things were going, he'd probably starve to death anyway. The cat flap rattled and Aunt Petunia's hand appeared, pushing a bowl of tinned soup into the room. Harry, whose insides were aching with hunger, jumped off his bed and seized it. The soup was stone cold, but he drank half of it in one gulp. Then he crossed the room to Hedwig's cage and tipped the soggy vegetables at the bottom of the bowl into her empty food tray. She ruffled her feathers and gave him a look of deep disgust. "'It's no good turning your beak up at me.' "'That's all we've got,' said Harry grimly. "'He put the empty bowl back on the floor "'next to the cat flap "'and lay back down on the bed, "'somehow even hungrier than he had been before the soup. "'Supposing he was still alive in another four weeks, "'what would happen if he didn't turn up at Hogwarts? "'Would someone be sent to see why he didn't come back? "'Would they be able to make the Dursleys let him go?' "'The room was growing dark, "'exhausted, stomach rumbling, "'mind spinning over the same unanswerable questions.' Harry fell into an uneasy sleep. He dreamed that he was on a show in a zoo, with a card reading, Underage Wizard Attached to His Cage. People goggled through the bars at him as he lay, starving and weak, on a bed of straw. He saw Dobby's face in the crowd and shouted, asking for help, but Dobby called, Harry Potter is safe there, sir, and vanished. Then the Dursleys appeared, and Dudley rattled the bars of the cage, laughing at him. Stop it, Harry muttered, as the rattling pounded on his sore head, Leave me alone. Cut it out. I'm trying to sleep. He opened his eyes. Moonlight was shining through the bars on the window, and someone was goggling through the bars at him. A freckle-faced, red-haired, long-nosed someone. Ron Weasley was outside Harry's window. Ron, breathed Harry, creeping to the window and pushing it up so they could talk through the bars. Ron, how did you... what the... Harry's mouth fell open as the full impact of what he was seeing hit him. Ron was leaning out of the back window of an old turquoise car, which was parked in midair, Grinning at Harry from the front seats were Fred and George, Ron's elder twin brothers. "'All right, Harry.' "'What's been going on?' said Ron. "'Why haven't you been answering my letters? "'I've asked you to stay at stay about twelve times, "'and then Dad came home and said you'd got an official warning for using magic in front of muggles. "'It wasn't me. And how did he know?' "'He works for the Ministry,' said Ron. "'You know we're not supposed to do spells outside school.' Bit rich coming from you, said Harry, staring at the floating car. Oh, this doesn't count, said Ron. We're only borrowing this, it's, it's Dad's. We didn't enchant it, but doing magic in front of those muggles you live with... I told you, I didn't. But it'll take too long to explain now. Look, can you explain to them at Hogwarts that the Dursleys have locked me up and won't let me come back? And obviously I can't magic myself out, because the Ministry will think that's the second spell I've done in three days, so stop gibbering, said Ron. We've come to take you home with us. But you can't magic me out either. We don't need to, said Ron, jerking his head towards the front seats and grinning. You forgot who I've got with me. Tie that around the bar, said Fred, throwing the end of a rope to Harry. If the Dursleys wake up, I'm dead, said Harry, as he tied the rope tightly around a bar and Fred revved up the car. Don't worry, said Fred, and stand back. Harry moved back into the shadows next to Hedwig, who seemed to have realised how important this was and kept still and silent. The car revved louder and louder, and suddenly, with a crunching noise, the bars were pulled clean out of the window as Fred drove straight up in the air. Harry ran back to the window to see the bars dangling a few feet above the ground. Panting, Ron hoisted them up into the car. Harry listened anxiously, but there was no sound from the Dursley's bedroom. When the bars were safely in the back seat with Ron, Fred reversed as close as possible to Harry's window. Get in, Ron said, but all my Hogwarts stuff, my wand, my broomstick... "'Where is it? Locked in the cupboard under the stairs "'and I can't get out of this room.' "'No problem,' said George from the front passenger seat. "'Out of the way, Harry.' Fred and George climbed carefully through the window into Harry's room. "'You had to hand it to them,' thought Harry, "'as George took an ordinary hairpin from his pocket "'and started to pick the lock. "'A lot of wizards think it's a waste of time "'knowing this sort of muggle trick,' said Fred. "'But we feel their skills worth learning, "'even if they are a bit slow.' "'There was a small click and the door swung open. "'So, we'll get your trunk.' You grab anything you need from your room and hand it on to Ron, whispered George. Watch out for the bottom stair, it creaks, Harry whispered back as the twins disappeared into the dark landing. Harry dashed around his room, collecting his things together and passing them out of the window to Ron. Then he went to help Fred and George heave his trunk up the stairs. Harry heard Uncle Vernon cough. At last, panting, they reached the landing, then carried the trunk through Harry's room to the open window. Fred, climbed back into the car to pull with Ron, and Harry and George pushed from the bedside- bedroom side. Inch by inch, the trunk slid through the window. Uncle Vernon coughed again. A bit more, panted Fred. who was pulling from inside the car. One good push! Harry and George threw their shoulders against the trunk, and it slid out of the window, into the back seat of the car. OK, let's go, George whispered. But as Harry climbed into the windowsill, there came a sudden loud screech from behind him, followed immediately by the thunder of Uncle Vernon's voice. That ruddy owl! I've forgotten Hedwig! Harry tore back across the room as the landing light clicked on. He snatched up Hedwig's cage, dashed to the window and passed it out to Ron. He was scrambling back onto the chest of drawers when Uncle Vernon hammered on the unlocked door and it crashed open. For a split second, Uncle Vernon stood framed in the doorway. Then he let out a bellow like an angry bull and dived at Harry, grabbing him by the ankle ron fred and george seized harry's arms and pulled him as hard as they could petunia roared uncle vernon he's getting away he's getting away the weasleys gave a gigantic tug and harry's legs slid out of uncle vernon's grasp grasp as soon as harry was in the car and had slammed the door shut ron yelled put your foot down fred and the car shot suddenly towards the moon harry couldn't believe it he was free. He wound down the window, the night air whipping his hair, and looked back at the shrinking rooftops of Privet Drive. Uncle Vernon, Aunt Petunia and Dudley were all hanging, dumbstruck out of Harry's window. ''See you next summer!'' Harry yelled. The Weasleys roared with laughter and Harry settled back in his seat, grinning from ear to ear. ''Let's Hedwig out!'' he told Ron. ''She can fly behind us. She hasn't had a chance to stretch her wings for ages.'' George handed the hairpin to Ron, and a moment later Hedwig had soared joyfully out of the window to glide alongside them like a ghost. "'So, what's the story, Harry?' said Ron impatiently. "'What's been happening?' Harry told them all about Dobby, the warning he'd given Harry and the fiasco of the violet pudding. There was a long shocked silence when he had finished. "'Very fishy,' said Fred finally. "'Definitely dodgy,' agreed George. "'So, he wouldn't even tell you who's supposed to be plotting all this stuff?' "'I don't think he could,' said Harry.' I told you, every time he got close to letting something slip, he started banging his head against the wall. He saw Fred and George look at each other. What? You think he was lying to me? said Harry. Well, said Fred, put it this way house sales have got powerful magic of their own, but they can't, can't usually use it without their master's permission. I reckon old Dobby was sent to stop you coming back to Hogwarts. Someone's idea of a joke. Can you think of anyone at school with a grudge against you? Yes, said Harry and Ron together instantly. Draco Malfoy, Harry explained. "'He hates me.' "'Draco Malfoy,' said George, turning around. "'Not Lucius Malfoy's son.' "'Must be. "'It's not a very common name, is it?' said Harry. "'Why?' "'I've heard Dad talking about him,' said George. "'He was a big supporter of a you-know-who.' "'And when you-know-who disappeared,' said Fred, "'craning around to look at Harry, "'Lucius Malfoy came back saying he'd never meant any of it. "'Load of dung. "'Dad reckons he was right in the you-know-who's inner circle.' "'Harry had heard these rumours about Malfoy's family before, "'and they didn't surprise him at all.' "'Draco Malfoy made Dudley Dursley look like a kind, thoughtful and sensitive boy.' "'I don't know whether the Malfoys own a house-elf,' said Harry. "'Well, whoever owns him will be an old wizarding family and they'll be rich,' said Fred. "'Yeah, Mum's always wishing we had a house-elf to do the ironing,' said George. "'But all we've got is a lousy old ghoul in the attic and gnomes all over the garden. "'House-elves come with big old manors and castles and places like that. "'You wouldn't catch one in our house.' Harry was silent. Judging by the fact that Draco Malfoy usually had the best of everything, his family was rolling in wizard gold, he could just see Malfoy strutting around a large manor house. Sending the family servant to stop Harry going back to Hogwarts also sounded exactly like the sort of thing Malfoy would do. Had Harry been stupid to take Dobby seriously? "'I'm glad we came to get you anyway,' said Ron. "'I was getting really worried when you didn't answer any of my letters. "'I thought it was Errol's fault at first. "'Who's Errol?' Aral, he's ancient.' It wouldn't be the first time he'd collapsed on a delivery. So, then I tried to borrow Hermes. Who? The owl mum and dad bought Percy when he was made a prefect, said Fred from the front. But Percy wouldn't lend him to me, said Ron. Said he needed him. Percy's been acting very oddly this summer, said George, frowning. And he has been sending a lot of letters and spending a lot of time shut up in his room. I mean, there's only so many times you can polish a prefect badge. You're driving too too, too far west, Fred, he added, pointing at a compass on the dashboard. Fred twiddled the steering wheel. "'So, does your dad know you've got the car?' said Harry, guessing the answer. "Uh, "'No,' said Ron. "'He had to work tonight. "'Hopefully we'll be able to get it back in the garage without Mum noticing we flew it. "'What does your dad do at the Ministry of Magic, anyway?' "'He works in the most boring department,' said Ron. "'The misuse of Muggle Artifacts Office.' "'The what?' "'It's all to do with with bewitching things that are Muggle-made, "'you know, in case they end up back in a Muggle shop or house.' Like last year, some old witch died and her tea set was sold to an antique shop. The muggle woman bought it, took it home and tried to serve her friend's tea in it. And it was a nightmare. Dad was working overtime for weeks. What happened? The teapot went berserk and squirted boiling tea all over the place. And one man ended up in hospital with the sugar tongs clamped to his nose. Dad was going frantic. It's only him and his old warlock called Perkins in the office. And they had to do memory charms and all sorts to cover it up. But your dad, this car... Fred laughed, yeah, Dad's mad about everything to do with muggles. Our shed's full of muggle stuff. He takes it apart, puts spells on it, and puts it back together again. if he raided if you, If he raided our house, he'd have had to put himself straight under arrest. It drives Mum mad. That's the main road, said George, peering down through the windscreen. We'll be there in ten minutes, just as well. It's getting light. A faint pinkish glow was visible along the horizon to the east. Fred brought the car lower and Harry saw a dark patchwork of fields and clumps of trees. We're a little way outside the village, said George. Ottery St. Catchpole. Lower and lower went the flying car. The edge of a brilliant red sun was now gleaming through the trees. Touchdown, said Fred, as with a slight bump they hit the ground. They had landed next to a tumble-down garage in a small yard and Harry looked out for the first time at Ron's house. It looked as though it had once been a large stony pigsty but extra rooms had been added here and there until it was several stories high, and so cricket crooked it looked as though it was helped up by magic, which Harry reminded himself it probably was four or five chimneys were perched on top of the red roof, a lopsided sign stuck in the ground near the entrance, read the burrow round the front door lay a jumble of Wellington boots and a very rusty cauldron. several fat brown chickens were pecking their way around the yard. It's not much, said Ron it's brilliant, said Harry happily thinking of Privet Drive. they got out of the car now we'll go upstairs really quietly, said Fred, and wait for Mum to call us for breakfast. Then Ron, you can come bounding downstairs going, Mum, look who turned up in the, turned up in the night and she'll be all pleased to see Harry, and no one need ever know we flew the car right, said Ron, Come on, Harry, I sleep at the Ron had gone a nasty greenish color, his eyes fixed on the house. the other three wheeled around. Mrs. Weasley was marching across the yard, scattering chickens, and for a short, plump, kind-faced woman, it was remarkable how much she looked like a sabre-toothed tiger. Ah, said Fred. Oh dear, said George. Mrs. Weasley came to a halt in front of them, her hands on her hips, staring from one guilty face to the next. She was wearing a flowered apron, with a wand sticking out of the pocket. So, she said. Morning, Mum, said George, in what he clearly thought was a jaunty, winning voice. "'Have you any idea how worried I've been?' "'said Mrs Weasley in a deadly whisper. "'Sorry, Mum, but see, we had to.' "'All three of Mrs Weasley's sons were taller than she was, "'but they cowered as her rage broke over them. "'Bed's empty. No note. Car gone. Could have crashed. "'Out of my mind with worry. Did you care? "'Never as long as I've lived. You wait until your father gets home. "'We never had trouble like this from Bill or Charlie or Percy.' "'Perfect Percy,' muttered Fred. "'You could do with taking a le- leap out of Percy's book.' yelled Mrs Weasley, prodding a finger in Fred's chest. You could have died! You could have been seen! You could have lost your father his job! It seemed to go on for hours. Mrs Weasley had shouted herself hoarse before she turned on Harry, who backed away. I'm very pleased to see you, Harry dear, she said. Come in and have some breakfast. She turned and walked back into the house, and Harry, after a nervous glance at Ron, who nodded encouragingly, followed her. The kitchen was small and rather cramped, There was a scrubbed wooden table and chairs in the middle, and Harry sat down on the edge of his seat, looking around. He had never been in a wizard house before. The clock on the wall opposite him had only one hand and no numbers at all. Written around the edge were things like, Time to Make Tea, Time to Feed the Chickens, and You're Late. Books were stacked three deep on the mantelpiece. Books with titles like, Charm Your Own Cheese, Enchantment in Baking, and One Minute Feasts. It's Magic. And unless Harry's ears were deceiving him, the old radio next to the sink had just announced that coming up was witching hour with the popular singing sorceress Celestina Warback. Mrs Weasley was clattering around, cooking breakfast a little haphazardly, throwing dirty looks at her sons as she threw sausages into the frying pan. Every now and then she muttered things like, don't know what you were thinking of, and never would have believed it. I don't blame you, dear, she assured Harry, tipping eight or nine sausages onto his plate. Arthur and I have been worried about you too. Just last night we were saying we'd come and get you ourselves if you hadn't written back to Ron by Friday. But really, she was now adding three fried eggs to his plate. Flying an illegal car halfway across the country? Anyone could have seen you. She flicked her wand, casually at the washing up in the sink, which began to clean itself, clinking gently in the background. It was cloudy, Mum, said Fred. You keep your mouth closed. You're eating. Mrs Weasley snapped. They were starving him, Mum, said George. And you said, Mrs. Weasley, but it was with a slightly softened expression that she had started cutting Harry bread har- that she that she started cutting Harry bread and buttering it for him. At that moment, there was a diversion in the form of a small red-headed figure in a long nightdress who appeared in the kitchen, Have a small, gave a small squeal, and ran out again. Ginny said Ron in an undertone to Harry, "My sister. She's been talking about you all summer. Yeah, she'll be wanting your autograph." Harry grinned. Fred. "'but he caught his mother's eye and bent his face over his plate without another word. "'Nothing more was said until all four plates were clean, "'which took a surprisingly short time. "'Blimey, I'm tired,' yawned Fred, setting down his knife and fork at last. "'I think I'll go to bed and—' "'You will not!' snapped Mrs Weasley. "'It's your own fault you've been up all night. "'You're going to denome the garden for me. "'They're getting completely out of hand again.' "'Oh, Mum!' "'And you two, she said, glaring at Ron and George.' "'You can go up to bed, dear,' she added to Harry. "'You didn't ask them to fly that wretched car.' But Harry, who felt wide awake, said quickly, "'I'll help Ron. I've never seen a de-noming.' "'That's very sweet of you, dear, but it's dull work,' said Mrs Weasley. "'Now let's see what Lockhart's got to say on the subject.' And she pulled a heavy book from the stack on the mantelpiece. George groaned, "'Mum, we know how to de-nome a garden.' Harry looked at the cover of Mrs Weasley's book. Written across it in fancy gold letters were the words, Gilderoy Lockhart's Guide to Household Pests. There was a big photograph on the front of a very good-looking wizard with wavy blonde hair and bright blue eyes, and always in the wizarding world the photograph was moving. The wizard, who Harry supposed was Gilderoy Lockhart, kept winking cheekily up at them. Mrs Weasley beamed down at him. "'Oh, he is marvelous," she said. "'He knows his household pests, all right. It's a wonderful book.' "'Mum fancies him,' said Fred, in a very audible whisper. "'Don't be so ridiculous, Fred,' said Mrs Weasley, her cheeks rather pink. "'All right, if you think you know better than Lockhart, you can go and get on with it. "'And woe betide you if there's a single gnome in the garden when I come out to inspect it.' "'Yawning and grumbling, the Weasleys slouched outside with Harry behind them. "'The garden was large, and in Harry's eyes exactly what a garden should be. "'The Dursleys wouldn't have liked it. "'There were plenty of weeds and the grass needed cutting. "'But there were gnarled trees all around the walls.' "'Plants Harry had never seen spilling from every flower bed, "'and a big green pond full of frogs. "'Muggles have garden gnomes too, you know,' "'Harry told Ron as they crossed the lawn. "'Yeah, I've seen those things. "'They think are gnomes,' said Ron, "'bent double with his head in a peony bush, "'like fat little Father Christmases with fishing rods. "'There was a violent scuffling noise. "'The peony bush shuddered, and Ron straightened up. "'This is a gnome,' he said grimly. "'You're off me! You're off me!' squealed the gnome. "'It was certainly nothing like Father Christmas.' It was small and leathery-looking, with a large, knobbly, bald head, exactly like a potato. Ron held it at arm's length as it kicked out at him with its horny little feet. He grasped it round the ankles and turned it upside down. This is what you have to do, he said. He raised the gnome above his head. Get off me! And started to swing it in great circles like a lasso. Seeing the shocked look on Harry's face, Ron added, It doesn't hurt him. You've just got to make them really dizzy so they can't find their way back to the gnome holes he let go of the gnome's ankles it flew 20 feet into the air and landed with a thud in the field over the hedge pitiful said fred i bet i can get mine beyond that stump harry leaned quickly not to, learned quickly not to feel too sorry for the gnomes he decided just to drop the first one he caught over the hedge but the gnome sensing weakness sank its razor-sharp teeth into harry's finger and he had a hard job shaking it off until wow harry that must have been 50 feet the air was soon thick with flying gnomes see they're not too bright, said George, seizing five or six gnomes at once. The moment they know the de going on, they storm up to have a look. You'd think they'd have learned by now just to stay put. Soon the crowd of gnomes in the field started walking away in a straggling line, their little shoulders hunched. They'll be back, said Ron, as they watched the gnomes disappear into the hedge on the other side of the field. They love it here. Dad's too soft with them. He thinks they're funny. Just then the front door slammed. He's back, said George. Dad's home. They hurried through the garden and back into the house. Mr Weasley was slumped in a kitchen chair, with his glasses off and his eyes closed. He was a thin man, going bald, but the little hair he had was as red as any of his children's. He was wearing long green robes, which were dusty and travel-worn. What a night, he mumbled, groping for the teapot as they all sat down around him. Nine raids, nine. An old Mundungus Fletcher tried to put a hex on me when I had my back turned. Mr. Weasley took a long gulp of tea and sighed. "'Find anything, Dad?' said Fred eagerly. "'All I got were a few shrinking door keys and biting kettles,' yawned Mr. Weasley. "'There was some pretty nasty stuff that wasn't my department, though. Mortlake was taken away for questioning about some extremely old ferrets, "'but that's the Committee on Experimental Charms, thank goodness.' "'Why would anyone bother making door keys shrink?' said George. "'Just muggle-baiting,' sighed Mr. Weasley. T- "'Sell them a key?' It keeps shrinking to nothing so they can never find it when they need it. Of course, it's very hard to convict anyone because no muggle would admit their keys keep shrinking. They'll insist they just keep losing it. Bless them. They'll go to any lengths to ignore magic, even if it's staring them in the face. But the things are a lot of taking to enchanting. You wouldn't believe. Like cars, for instance. Mrs. Weasley had appeared, holding a long poker like a sword. Mr. Weasley's eyes jerked open. He stared guiltily at his wife. Cars, Molly dear? "'Yes, Arthur, cars,' said Mrs Weasley, her eyes flashing. "'Imagine a wizard buying a rusty old car and telling his wife all he wanted to do with it "'was take it apart to see how it worked, while really he was enchanting it to make it fly.' "'Mr Weasley blinked. "'Well, dear, I think you'll find that he would be quite within the law to do that, "'even if uh, he maybe would have done better to um, tell his wife the truth. "'There's a loophole in the law, you'll find.' As long as he wasn't intending to fly the car, the fact that the car could fly wouldn't. Arthur Weasley, you made sure there was a loophole when you wrote that law, shouted Mrs Weasley. Just so you could carry on tinkering with all that muggle rubbish on your in your shed. And for your information, Harry arrived this morning in the car. You weren't intending to fly. Harry, said Mr Weasley blankly. Harry who? He looked around, saw Harry and jumped. Good Lord, is it Harry Potter? Very pleased to meet you. Ron's told us so much about. "'Your sons flew that car to Harry's house and back last night,' shouted Mrs Weasley. "'What have you got to say about it, eh?' "'Did you really?' said Mr Weasley eagerly. "'Did it all go right? I I mean,' he faltered as sparks flew from Mrs Weasley's eyes. "'That was very wrong, boys, very wrong indeed.' "'Let's leave them to it,' Ron muttered to Harry, as Mrs Weasley swelled like a bullfrog. "'Come on, I'll show you my bedroom.' They slipped out of the kitchen and down a narrow passageway to an uneven staircase which zigzagged its way up through the house. On the third landing, a door stood ajar. Harry just caught sight of a pair of bright brown eyes staring at him before it closed with a snap. Ginny said Ron, you don't know how weird it is for her to be this shy. She never shuts up normally. They climbed two more flights until they reached a door with peeling paint and a small plaque on it saying Ronald's room. Harry stepped in, his head almost touching the sloping ceiling and blinked. It was like walking into a furnace. Nearly everything in Ron's room seemed to be a violent shade of orange. The bedspread, the walls, even the ceiling. Then Harry realised that Ron had covered nearly every inch of the shabby wallpaper with posters of the same seven witches and wizards, all wearing bright orange robes, carrying broomsticks and waving energetically. Your Quidditch team, said Harry. The Chudley Cannons, said Ron pointing at the orange bedspread which was emblazoned with two giant black seas on a speeding cannonball. Ninth in the league! Ron's school spellbooks were stacked untidily in a corner next to a pile of comics which all seemed to feature the adventures of Martin Miggs, the mad muggle. Ron's magic wand was lying on top of a fish tank full of frogspawn on the windowsill next to his fat grey rat, Scabbers, who was snoozing in a patch of sun. Harry stepped out over a pack of self-shuffling playing cards on the floor and looked out of the tiny window. In the field far below, he could see a gang of gnomes sneaking one by one back through the Weasley's hedge. Then he turned to look at Ron, who was watching him almost nervously, as though waiting for his opinion. It's a bit small, said Ron quickly. Not like that room you had with the muggles. And I'm right underneath the ghoul in the attic. He's always banging on the pipes and groaning. But Harry, grinning widely, said... This is the best house I've ever been in. Ron's ears went pink. Life at the Burrow was as different as possible from life in Privet Drive. The Dursleys liked everything neat and ordered. The Weasleys' house burst with the strange and unexpected. Harry got a shock the first time he looked in the mirror over the kitchen mantelpiece, and it shouted, Tuck your shirt in, Scruffy! The ghoul in the attic howled and dropped pipes whenever he felt things were getting too quiet, and small explosions from Fred and George's bedroom were considered perfectly normal. What Harry found most unusual about life at Ron's, however, wasn't the talking mirror or the clanking ghoul, it was the fact that everybody there seemed to like him. Mrs. Weasley fussed over the state of his socks and tried to force him to eat four helpings at every meal. Mr. Weasley liked Harry to sit next to him at the dinner table so that he could bombard him with questions about life with muggles, asking him to explain how things like plugs and the postal service worked. Fascinating, he would say, as Harry talked him through using a telephone. Ingenious! Really, how many ways muggles have found of getting along without magic! Harry heard from Hogwarts one sunny morning, about a week after he had arrived at the burrow, He and Ron went down to breakfast to find Mr. and Mrs. Weasley and Ginny already sitting at the kitchen table. The moment she saw Harry, Ginny accidentally knocked her porridge bowl to the floor with a loud clatter. Ginny seemed very prone to knocking things over when Harry entered a room. She dived under the table to retrieve the bowl and emerged with her face glowing like the setting sun. Pretending he hadn't noticed this, Harry sat down and took the toast Mrs. Weasley offered him. Letters from school, said Mr Weasley, passing Harry and Ron identical envelopes of yellowish parchment, addressed in green ink. Dumbledore already knows you're here, Harry. Doesn't miss a trick, that man. You two have got them too, he added added, as Fred and George ambled in, still in their pyjamas. For a few minutes there was silence as they all read their letters. Harry's told him to catch the Hogwarts Express, as usual, from King's Cross Station on September the 1st. There was also the list of the new books he'd need for the coming year. Second year students will require The Standard Book of Spells Grade 2 by Miranda Goshawk, Break with a bansheer by Gilderoy Lockhart, Gadding with Ghouls by Gilderoy Lockhart, Lockhart, Holidays with Hags by Gilderoy Lockhart, Travels with Trolls by Gilderoy Lockhart, Voyages with with Vampires by Gilderoy Lockhart, Wanderings and Werewolves by Gilderoy Lockhart, Tear with the tetty by Gilderoy Lockhart. Fred who had finished his own list, peered over at Harry's. "'You've been told to get all Lockhart's books, too,' he said. "'The new Defence Against the Dark Arts teacher must be a fan. Bet it's a witch.' At this point, Fred caught his mother's eye and quickly busied himself with the marmalade. "'That lot won't come cheap,' said George, with a quick look at his parents. "'Lockhart's books are really expensive.' "'Well, we'll manage,' said Mrs Weasley, but she looked worried. "'I expect we'll be able to pick up a lot of Ginny's things second-hand.' "'Oh, are you starting at Hogwarts this year?' Harry asked Ginny. She nodded. "'blushing to the roots of her flaming hair, "'and put her elbow in the butter dish. "'Fortunately, no one saw this except Harry, "'because just then Ron's elder brother Percy walked in. "'He was always already dressed, "'his Hogwarts prefect badge pinned to his knitted tank top. "'Morning all,' said Percy briskly. "'Lovely day.' "'He sat down in the only remaining chair, "'but leapt up again almost immediately, "'pulling from underneath him a moulting grey feather duster. "'At least that was what Harry thought it was, "'until he saw that he was breathing. "'Errol,' said Ron.' taking the limp owl from Percy and extracting a letter from under its wing. Finally, he's got Hermione's answer. I wrote to her saying we were going to try and rescue you from the Dursleys. He carried Errol to a perch just beside the back door and tried to stand him on it, but Errol flopped straight off again so Ron laid him on the draining board instead, muttering, Pathetic. Then he ripped open Hermione's letter and read it out loud. Dear Ron, and Harry if you're there... I hope everything went all right and that Harry is okay and that you didn't do anything illegal to get him out, Ron, because that would get Harry into trouble too. I've been really worried, and if Harry is all right, will you please let me know at once? But perhaps it would be better if you used a different owl, because I think another delivery night uh, might finish you your one off. I'm very busy with schoolwork, of course. How can she be, said Ron in horror. We're on holiday, and we're going to London next Wednesday to buy my new books. Why don't we meet in Diagon Alley? Let me know what's happening as soon as you can, Love from Hermione. Well, that fits in nicely. We can go and get all the things then too, said Mrs Weasley, starting to clear the table. What are you all up to today? Harry, Ron, Fred and George were planning to go up to the hill, to a small paddock the Weasleys owned. It was surrounded by trees that blocked it from the view of the village below, meaning that they could practice Quidditch there, as long as they didn't fly too high. They couldn't use real Quidditch balls, which would have been hard to explain if they'd escaped and flown away over the village. Instead, they threw apples for each other to catch. They took it in turns to ride Harry's Nimbus 2000, which was easily the best broom. Ron's old shooting star was often outstripped by passing butterflies. Five minutes later, they were marching up the hill, broomsticks over their shoulders. They had asked Percy if he wanted to join them, but he had said he was busy. Harry had only seen Percy at mealtime so far. He stayed shut in his room the rest of the time. "'Wish I knew what he was up to,' said Fred, frowning. "'He's not himself. His exam results came the day before you did.' Twelve owls, and he hardly gloated at all. Ordinary wizarding levels, George explained, seeing Harry's puzzled look. Bill got twelve too. If you're not careful, we'll have another head boy in the family. I don't think I could stand the shame. Bill was the oldest Weasley brother. He and the next brother, Charlie, had already left Hogwarts. Harry had never met either of them, but knew that Charlie was in Romania studying dragons, and Bill in Egypt, working for the wizard's bank, Gringotts. Don't know how mum and dad are going to afford all your school stuff this year, said George after a while. Five sets of Lockhart books, and Ginny needs robes and a wand and everything. Harry said nothing. He felt a bit awkward. Stored in an underground vault at Gringotts in London was a small fortune that his parents had left him. Of course, it was only in the wizarding world that he had money. You couldn't use galleons, sickles and nuts in muggle shops. He had never mentioned his Gringotts bank account to the Dursleys. He didn't think their horror of anything connected with magic would stretch to a large pile of gold. Mrs Weasley woke them all early the following Wednesday. After a quick half a dozen bacon sandwiches each, they pulled on their coats and Mrs Weasley took a flowerpot off the kitchen mantelpiece and peered inside. "'We're running low, Arthur,' she sighed. "'We'll have to get by some more today.' "'Ah, well, guess first. After you, Harry, dear.' And she offered him the flowerpot. Harry stared at them all, watching him. "'What am I supposed to do?' he stammered. "'He's never travelled by flu powder,' said Ron suddenly. "'Sorry, Harry, I forgot.' Never said, Mister Weasley. But how did you get into Diagon, Diagon Alley to buy your school things last year? I went on the Underground. Really, said Mister Weasley eagerly. Were there escape tours, tours? How exactly? Not now, Arthur said. Missus Weasley. Flu powders a lot quicker, dear. But goodness me, if you've never used it before, he'll be all right. Mum said. Fred, Harry, watch us first. He took a pinch of glittering powder out of the flower pot, stepped up to the fire, and threw the powder into the flames. With a roar, the fire turned emerald green and rose higher than Fred, who stepped right into it, shouted, Diagon Alley, and vanished. You must speak clearly, dear, Mrs Weasley told Harry, as George dipped his hand into the flowerpot. And mind you, get out at the right grate. The right what? said Harry nervously, as the fire roared and whipped George out of sight too. Well, there are an awful lot of wizard fires to choose from, you know, but as long as you've spoken clearly... He'll be fine, Molly, don't fuss, said Mr Weasley, helping himself to flu powder too. But dear, if he got lost, how would we ever explain this to his aunt and uncle? They wouldn't mind, Harry reassured her. Dudley would think it was a brilliant joke if I got lost up a chimney. Don't worry about that. Well, all right, you go after Arthur, said Mr Weasley. Now, when you get into the fire, say where you're going. And keep your elbows tucked in, Ron advised. And your eyes shut, said Mrs Weasley. The soot. Don't fidget, said Ron, or you might well fall out of the wrong fireplace, but don't panic and get out too early, wait until you see Fred and George. Trying hard to bear all this in mind, Harry took a pinch of flue powder and walked to the edge of the fire. He took a deep breath, scattered the powder into the flames and stepped forward. The fire felt like a warm breeze. He opened his mouth and immediately swallowed a lot of hot ash. Uh, diagonally, diagonally, he coughed. It felt as though he was being sucked down a giant plug hole. He seemed to be spinning very fast. The roaring in his ears was deafening. He tried to keep his eyes open, but the whirl of green flames made him feel sick. Something hard knocked his elbow and he tucked it in slightly tightly, still spinning and spinning. Now it felt as though cold hands were slapping his face. Squinting through his glasses, he saw a blurred stream of fireplaces and snatched glimpses of the rooms beyond. His bacon sandwiches were churning inside him. He closed his eyes again, wishing it would stop, and then he fell face forward, "'onto cold stone and felt his glasses shatter. "'Dizzy and bruised, covered in soot, "'he got, a, got gingerly to his feet, "'holding his broken glasses up to his eyes. "'He was quite alone, but where he was he had no idea. "'All he could tell was that he was standing "'in the stone fireplace of what looked like "'a large, dimly lit wizard shop, "'but nothing in there was likely to be "'on a Hogwarts school list. "'A glass case nearby held a withered hand on a cushion, "'a blood-stained pack of cards and a staring glass eye.' evil-looking masks leered down from the walls, an assortment of human bones lay upon the counter, and rusty spiked instruments hung from the ceiling. Even worse, the dark narrow street Harry could see through the dusty shop window was definitely not Diagon Alley. The sooner he got out of here the better, nose still stinging where it hit the earth, Harry made his way swiftly and silently towards the door, but before he got halfway towards it two people appeared on the other side of the glass and one of them was the very last person Harry wanted to meet when he was lost, covered in soot and wearing broken glasses, Draco Malfoy. Harry looked quickly around and spotted a large black cabinet to his left. He shot inside it and pulled the doors to, leaving a small crack to peer through. Seconds later, a bell clanged and Malfoy stepped into the shop. The man who followed could only be his father. He had the same pale, pointed face and identical cold grey eyes. Mr Malfoy crossed the shop, looking lazily at the items on display, and rang a bell on the counter before turning to his son and saying, Touch nothing, Draco. Malfoy, who had reached for the glass eye, said, I thought you were going to buy me a present. I said I would buy you a racing broom, said his father, drumming his fingers on the counter. What's the good of that if I'm not in the house team, said Malfoy, looking sulky and bad-tempered. Harry Potter got a Nimbus 2000 last year, special permission from Dumbledore so he could play for Gryffindor. He's not even that good, it's just because he's famous, famous for having a stupid scar on his forehead. Malfoy bent down to examine a shelf full of skulls. Everyone thinks he's so smart, wonderful potter with his scar and his broomstick. You have told me this at least a dozen times already, said Mr Malfoy, and a with a quelling look on at his son, and I would remind you that it is not prudent to appear less than fond of Harry Potter, not when most of our kind regard him as the hero who made the Dark Lord disappear. Ah, "'Mr. Borgin!' A stooping man had appeared behind the counter, "'smoothing his greasy hair back from his face. "'Mr. Malfoy, what a pleasure to see you again,' said Mr. Borgin, "'in a voice as oily as his hair, delighted, and young Master Malfoy too. "'Charmed! How may I be of assistance? "'I must show you just in today, and very reasonably priced.' "'I'm not buying today, Mr. Borgin, but selling,' said Mr. Malfoy. "'Selling?' The smile faded slightly from Mr. Borgin's face. "'You have heard, of course, that the Ministry is conducting more raids,' said Mr Malfoy, "'taking a roll of parchment from his inside pocket and unravelling it for Mr Borgin to read. "'I have a few, er, uh, items at home that might embarrass me if the Ministry were to call.' "'Mr Borgin fixed a pen- pince-nez to his nose and looked down to the list. "'The Ministry wouldn't presume to trouble-, trouble you, sir. Surely?' "'Mr Malfoy's lip curled. I have not been visited yet. "'The name Malfoy still commands a certain respect.' yet the Ministry grows ever more meddlesome. There are rumours about a new Muggle Protection Act. No doubt that flea-bitten, muggle-loving fool Arthur Weasley is behind it. Harry felt a hot surge of anger, and as you can see, certain of these potions might make it appear. I understand, sir, of course, said Mr. Borgin. Let me see. Can I have that? interrupted Draco, pointing at the withered hand on its cushion. Ah, The hand of glory, said Mr. Borgin, abandoning Mr. Malfoy's list and scurrying over to Draco. Insert a candle and it gives light only to the holder, best friend of thieves and plunderers. Your son has fine taste, sir. I hope my son will amount to more than a thief or a plunderer, Borgin, said Mr. Malfoy coldly. And Mr. Borgin said quickly, No offence, sir, Uh, no offence meant. Though if his school marks don't pick up, said Mr. Malfoy, more coldly still, that may indeed be all he is fit for. It's not my fault, retorted Draco. The teachers all have favourites, that Hermione Granger. I would have thought you'd be ashamed that a girl of no wizard family beats you in every exam, snapped Mr Malfoy. Ha! Huh, said Harry under his breath, pleased to see Draco looking both abashed and angry. It's the same all over, said Mr Borgin in his only voice. Wizard blood is counting for less everywhere. Not with me, said Mr Malfoy, his long nostrils flaring. No, no sir, nor with me, sir, said Mr Borgin with a deep bow. In that case... "'Perhaps we can return to my list,' said Mr Malfoy shortly. "'I am in something of a hurry, Borgin. "'I have important business elsewhere today.' They started to haggle. Harry watched nervously as Draco drew nearer and nearer to his hiding place, examining the objects for sale. He paused to examine a long coil of hangman's rope and to read, smirking, the card propped on a magnificent necklace of opals. "'Caution! Do not touch! Cursed! "'Has claimed the lives of nineteen muggle owners to date.' Draco turned away and saw the cabinet right in front of him. He walked forward. He stretched out his hand for the handle. "'Done,' said Mr Malfoy at the counter. "'Come, Draco!' Harry wiped his forehead on his sleeve as Draco turned away. "'Good day to you, Mr Borgin. I'll expect you at the manor tomorrow to pick up the goods.' The moment the door had closed, Mr Borgin dropped his only manner. "'Good day yourself, Mr Malfoy, and if the stories are true, "'you haven't sold me half of what's hidden in your manor.' muttering darkly, Mr Borgin disappeared into a back room. Harry waited for a minute in case he came back, then quietly as he could slipped out of the cabinet, past the glass cases and out of the sh- shop door. Clutching his broken glasses to his face, he stared around. He had emerged into a dingy alleyway that seemed to be made up entirely of shops devoted to the dark arts. The one he just left, Borgin and Burkes, looked like the largest, but opposite was a nasty window display of shrunken heads And two doors down, a large cage was alive with gigantic black spiders. Two shabby-looking wizards were watching him from the shadow of a doorway, muttering to each other. Feeling jumpy, Harry set off, trying to hold his glasses on straight, and hoping against hope he'd be able to find a way out of there. An old wooden street sign hanging over a shop selling poisonous candles told him he was in Nocturne Alley. This didn't help, as Harry had never heard of such a place. He supposed he hadn't spoken clearly enough through his mouthful of ashes back in the Weasley's fire, trying to stay calm he wondered what to do not lost are you my dear said a voice in his ear ear, making him jump an aged witch stood in front of him holding a tray of what looked horribly like whole human fingernails she leered at him showing mossy teeth harry backed away i'm fine thanks he said i'm just harry what do you think you're doing down here harry's heart leapt so did the witch A load of fingernails cascaded down over her feet and she cursed as the massive form of Hagrid, the Hogwarts gamekeeper, came striding towards them, beetle-black eyes flashing over his great bristling beard. "'Hagrid!' Harry croaked in relief. "'I was lost. "'Flew powder!' Hagrid seized Harry by the scruff of the neck and pulled him away from the witch, knocking the tray right out of her hands. Her shrieks followed them all the way along the twisting alleyway, out into the bright sunlight." Harry saw a familiar snow-white marble building in the distance, Gringotts Bank. Hagrid had steered him right into Diagon Alley. "'You're a mess!' said Hagrid gruffly, brushing soot off Harry so forcefully he nearly knocked him into a barrel of dragon dung outside on a freeze, po- apoc- apoc- "'Skulking around Nocturne Alley. I don't know. Dodgy place, Harry. Don't want no-one to see you down there.' "'I realised that,' said Harry, ducking as Hagrid made t- to brush him off again. "'I told you. I was lost.' What were you doing down there anyway? I was looking for a flesh-eating slug repellent, growled Hagrid. They're ruining the school cabbages. You know, you're not on your own. I'm staying with the Weasleys, but we got separated, Harry explained. I've got to go and find them. They set off together down the street. How come you never wrote back to me, said Hagrid, as Harry jogged alongside him. He had to take three steps to every stride of Hagrid's enormous boots. Harry explained all about Dobby and the Dursleys. Ruddy muggles growled Hagrid. If I'd have known! Harry! Harry, over here! Harry looked up and saw Hermione Granger standing at the top of the white flight of steps to the Gringotts. She ran down to meet him, her bushy brown hair flying behind her. What happened to your glasses? Hello, Hagrid. Oh, it's wonderful to see you two again. Are you coming into Gringotts, Harry? As soon as I've found the Weasleys, said Harry. Yeah, (laughs) you won't have long to wait, grinned Hagrid. Harry and Hermione looked around. Sprinting up the crowded street were Ron, Fred, George, Percy and Mr. Weasley. "'Hurry!' Mr. Weasley panted. "'We hoped you'd only gone one great too far.' He mopped his glistening bowl patch. "'Molly's frantic. She's coming now.' "'Where did you come out?' Ron asked. Nocturne Alley,' said Hagrid grimly. "'Brilliant!' said Fred and George together. "'We've never been allowed in,' said Ron enviously. "'I should really well think not,' growled Hagrid." Mrs Weasley now came galloping into view, her handbag swinging wildly in one hand, Ginny just clinging on to the other. "'Oh, Harry, oh, my dear, you could have been anywhere!' Gasping for breath, she pulled a large clothesbrush out of her bag and began sweeping off the soot Hagrid hadn't managed to beat away. Mr Weasley took Harry's glasses, gave them a tap of his wand and returned them, good as new. "'Well, gotta be off,' said Hagrid. who was having his hand wrung by Mrs Weasley. "'Nocturne Alley, if you have not found him, Hagrid!' here at Hogwarts,' and he strode away, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the packed street. "'Guess who I saw in Borgin and Burkes? Harry asked Ron and Hermione as they climbed the Gringotts' steps. "'Malfoy and his father.' "'Did Lucius Malfoy buy anything?' said Mr Weasley sharply behind them. "'No, he was selling.' "'So he's worried,' said Mr Weasley, with grim satisfaction. "'Oh, I'd love to get Lucius Malfoy for something.' "'You be careful, Arthur,' said Mrs Weasley sharply, "'as they ushered into the bank by a bowing goblin at the door. "'That's family trouble. That family's trouble. "'Don't go biting off more than you can chew.' "'So you don't think I'm a match for Lucius Malfoy?' said Mr Weasley indignantly. "'But he was distracted almost at once by the sight of Hermione's parents, "'who were standing nervously at the counter "'that ran all along the great marble hall, "'waiting for Hermione to introduce them. "'But you're muggles,' said Mr Weasley delightedly, We must have a drink. What's that you've got there? Oh, you're changing muggle money. Molly, look, he pointed excitedly at the ten-pound notes in Mr. Granger's hand. Meet you back here, Ron said to Hermione, as the Weasleys and Harry were led off to the underground vaults by another Gringotts goblin. The vaults were reached by means of small goblin-driven carts that sped along miniature train tracks through the bank's underground tunnels. Harry enjoyed the breakneck journey down to the Weasleys' vault, but felt dreadful, far worse than he had in Nocturne Alley when it was opened. There was a very small pile of silver sickles inside and just one gold galleon. Mrs Weasley felt right in, felt right into the corners before sweeping the whole lot into her bag. Harry felt even worse when they reached his vault. He tried to block the contents from view as he hastily shoved handfuls of coins into a leather bag. Back outside in the marble steps they all separated. Percy muttered vaguely about needing a new quill. Fred and George had spotted their friend from Hogwarts, Lee Jordan. Mrs. Weasley and Ginny were going to a second-hand robe shop, and Mr. Weasley was insisting on taking the Grangers off to the Le- Leaky Cauldron for a drink. "'We'll all meet at Flourish and Blots in an hour to buy your school books,' said Mrs. Weasley, setting off with Ginny. "'And not one step down Nocturne Alley!' she shouted at the twins' re- retreating backs. Harry, Ron and Hermione strolled off along the winding cobbled street. The bag of gold, silver and bronze jangling cheerfully in Harry's pockets was clamouring to be spent, so he bought three large strawberry and peanut butter ice creams, which they slurped happily as they wandered up the alley, examining the fascinating shop windows. Ron gazed longingly at a full set of Chudley cannon robes in the windows of quality Quidditch supplies, until Hermione dragged them off to buy ink and parchment next door. In Gamble and Japes' wizarding joke shop, they met Fred, George and Lee Jordan who was stocking up, and stocking up on Dr. Philbuster's fabulous wet start, no-heat fireworks. And in a tiny junk shop full of broken wands, wonky brass scales, and old cloaks covered in potion stains, they found Percy, deeply immersed in a small and deeply boring book called Prefects Who Gained Power. A study of Hogwarts prefects and their late care- careers, Ron read aloud off the back cover. That sounds fascinating. Go away, Percy snapped. Because, course... "'He's very ambitious, Percy. He's got it all planned out. He wants to be Minister of Magic,' Ron told Harry and Hermione in an undertone as they left Percy to it. An hour later, they headed for Flourish and Blots. They were by no means the only ones making their way to the bookshop. As they approached it, they saw to their surprise a large crowd jostling outside the doors, trying to get in. The reason for this was proclaimed by a large banner stretched across the upper windows.' "'Gilderoy Lockhart will be signing copies of his autobiography, Magical Me, today, 12.30 till 4.30pm.' "'We can actually meet him!' Hermione squealed. "'I mean, he's written almost the whole book list.' The crowd seemed to be made mostly of witches, round Mrs Weasley's age. A harassed-looking wizard stood at the door, crying, "'Calmly, please, ladies, don't push there. Mind the books now!' Harry, Ron and Hermione squeezed inside." A long queue wound right to the back of the shop, where Gilderoy Lockhart was signing his books. They each grabbed a copy of Break with a Banshee and sneaked up the line to where the rest of the Weasleys were standing with Mr and Mrs Granger. "'Oh, there you are, good,' said Mrs Weasley. She sounded breathless and kept patting her hair. "'We'll be able to see him in a minute.' Gilderoy Lockhart came slowly into view, seated at a table surrounded by large pictures of his own face, all winking and flashing dazzlingly white teeth at the crowd. The real Lockhart was wearing robes of forget- forget-me-not blue, which exactly matched his eyes. His pointed wizard's hat was set at a jointy angle on his wavy hair. A short, irritable-looking man was dancing around taking photographs with a large black camera that emitted puffs of purple smoke with every blinding flash. Out of the way there, he snarled at Ron, moving back to get a better shot. This is for the Daily Prophet! Big deal, said Ron, rubbing his foot where the photographer has stepped on it. Gilderoy Lockhart heard him, he looked up, he saw Ron, and then he saw Harry. He stared, then he leapt to his feet and positively shouted, "'It can't be Harry Potter!' The crowd parted, whispering excitedly. Lockhart dived forward, seized Harry's arm, and pulled him to the front. The crowd burst into applause. Harry's face burned as Lockhart shook his hand for the photographer, who was clicking away madly, wafting thick smoke over the Weasleys. "'Nice big smile, Harry,' said Lockhart." "'through his own gleaming teeth. "'Together, you and I are worth the front page.' "'When he finally let go of Harry's hand, "'Harry could hardly feel his fingers. "'He tried to sidle back over to the Weasleys, "'but Lockhart threw an arm around his shoulders "'and clamped him tightly to his side. "'Ladies and gentlemen,' he said loudly, "'waving for quiet. "'What an extraordinary moment this is, "'the perfect moment for me "'to make a little announcement "'I've been sitting on for some time.' "'When young Harry... "'When young Harry here stepped into Flourish and Blots today, "'he only wanted to buy my autobiography, "'which I shall be happy to present him now free of charge.' "'The crowd applauded again. "'He had no idea,' Lockhart continued, "'giving Harry a little shake "'that made his glasses slip to the end of his nose, "'that he would shortly be getting much, much more than my book. "'Magical me! "'He and his school fellows will, in fact, "'be getting the real magical me. "'Yes, ladies and gentlemen, "'I have great pleasure and pride in announcing "'that this September... I will be taking up the post of Defence Against the Dark Arts teacher at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. The crowd cheered and clapped, and Harry found himself being presented with the entire works of Gilderoy Lockhart. Staggering slightly under their weight, he managed to make his way out of the limelight to the edge of the room, where Ginny was standing next to her new cauldron. You have these, Harry, you have these, Harry mumbled to her, tipping the books into the cauldron. I'll buy my own. Bet you loved that, didn't you, Potter? said a voice. Harry had no trouble recognising. He straightened up and found himself face to face with Draco Malfoy, who was wearing his usual sneer. Famous Harry Potter, said Malfoy. Can't even go into a bookshop without making a front page. Leave him alone. He didn't want all that, said Ginny. It was the first time she'd spoken in front of Harry. She was glaring at Malfoy. Potter, <laughs> you've got yourself a girlfriend, drawled Malfoy. Ginny went scarlet as Ron and Hermione fought their way over, both clutching stacks of Lockhart's books. ''Oh, it's you,'' said Ron, looking at Malfoy as if he were something unpleasant in the sole of his shoe. ''Bet you're surprised to see Harry here, eh?'' ''Not as surprised as I am to see you in a shop, Weasley,'' reported Malfoy. ''I suppose your parents will go hungry for a month to pay for this lot.'' Ron went as red as Ginny. He dropped his books into the cauldron too and started towards Malfoy. But Harry and Hermione grabbed the back of of his jacket. ''Ron,'' said Mr Weasley, struggling over with Fred and George, ''what are you doing?'' It's mad in here, let's go outside. Well, 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 Arthur Weasley. It was Mr Malfoy. He stood with his hand on Draco's shoulder, sneering in just the same way. Lucius, said Mr Weasley, nodding coldly. Busy time at the Ministry, I hear, said Mr Malfoy. All those raids, I hope they're paying you overtime. He reached into Ginny's cauldron and extracted from amidst the glossy Lockhart books a very old, very battered copy of A Beginner's Guide to, the tra- to Transfiguration, Obviously not, he said. Dear me, what's the use of being a disgrace to the name of Wizard if they don't even pay you well for it? Mr Weasley flushed darkly than either Ron or Ginny. We have a very different idea of what disgraces the name of Wizard Malfoy, he said. Clearly, said Mr Malfoy, his pale eyes straying to Mr and Mrs Granger, who were watching apprehensively. The company you keep, Weasley, and I thought your family could sink no lower. There was a thud of metal as Ginny's cauldron went flying. Mr Weasley had thrown himself at Mr Malfoy, knocking him backwards into a bookshelf. Dozens of heavy spell books came thundering down on all their heads. There was a yell of, Get him, Dad! from Fred or George. Mrs Weasley was shrieking, No, Arthur, no! The crowd stampeded backwards, knocking more shelves over. Gentlemen, please, please, cried the assistant. And then, louder than all, break it up there, gents, break it up! Hagrid was wading towards them through the sea of books. In an instant he had pulled Mr. Weasley and Mr. Malfoy apart. Mr. Weasley had a cut lip and Mr. Malfoy had been hit in the eye by an encyclopedia of toadstools. He was still holding Ginny's old transfiguration book. He it at her, his eyes glittering with malice. Here, girl, take your book. It's the best your father can give you. Pulling himself out of Hagrid's grip, he beckoned to Draco and swept from the shop. "'You should have ignored him, Arthur,' said Hagrid, "'almost lifting Mr. Weasley off his feet as he straightened his robes. "'Rotten to the core the whole family, "'and everyone knows that no Malfoy's worth listening to. "'Bad blood! That's what it is. "'Come on now, let's get out of here.' "'The assistant looked as though he wanted wanted to stop them leaving, "'but he barely came up to Hagrid's waist and seemed to think better of it. "'They hurried up the street, the Grangers shaking with fright, "'and Mrs. Weasley beside herself with fury. "'A fine example to set to your children, bawling in public!' What Gilderoy Lockhart must have fought? He was pleased, said Fred. Didn't you hear him as we were leaving? He was asking that bloke from the Daily Prophet if he'd be able to work the fi- fight into his report. Said it was all publicity. But it was a subdued group who headed back to the fireside in the Leaky Cauldron, where Harry, the Weasleys and all their shopping would be travelling back to the burrow using flue powder. They said goodbye to the Grangers, who were leaving the pub for the Muggle Street on the other side. Mr. Weasley started to ask them how bus stops work, but stopped quickly at the look of Mrs. Weasley's face. Harry took off his glasses and put them safely in his pocket before helping himself to flu powder. It definitely wasn't his favourite way to travel. The end of the summer holidays came too quickly for Harry's liking. He was looking forward to getting back to Hogwarts, but his month at the borough had been the happiest of his life. It was difficult not to feel jealous of Ron when he thought of the Dursleys and the sort of welcome he could expect next time he turned up at Privet Drive. On their last evening, Mrs Weasley conjured up a sumptuous dinner, which included all of Harry's favourite things, ending with a mouth-watering treacle pudding. Fred and George rounded off the evening with a display of filibuster fireworks. They filled the kitchen with red and blue stars that bounced from ceiling to wall for at least half an hour. Then it was time for a last mug of hot chocolate and bed. It took a long while to get started next morning. They were up at Cock Crow, but somehow they still seemed to have a great deal to do. Mrs Weasley dashed about in a mad mood, looking for spare socks and quills. People kept colliding on the stairs, half-dressed with bits of toast in their hands. And Mr Weasley nearly broke his neck, tripping over a stray chicken as he crossed the yard, carrying Ginny's trunk to the car. Harry couldn't see how eight people, six large trunks, two owls and a rat were going to fit into one small Ford Anglia, He had reckoned, of course, without the special features which Mr Weasley had added. Not a word to Molly, he whispered to Harry, as he opened the boot and showed him how it had been magically expanded so that the trunks fitted easily. When at last they were all in the car, Mrs Weasley glanced into the back seat, where Harry, Ron, Fred, George and Percy were all sitting comfortably side by side and said, Muggles do know more than we give them credit for, don't they? She and Ginny got into the front seat, which had been stretched so that it resembled a park bench. I mean, you'd never know it was this roomy from the outside, would you? Mr. Weasley started up the engine and they trundled out of the yard, Harry turning back for one last look at the house. He barely had time to wonder when he'd see it again when they were back. George had forgotten his box of filibuster fireworks. Five minutes after that, they skidded to a halt in the yard so that Fred could run in for his broomstick. they had almost reached the motorway when Ginny shrieked that she'd left her diary. By the time she had clambered back into the car, they were running very late, and tempers were running high. Mr Weasley glanced at his watch, and then at his wife. Molly dear, no Arthur, no one could would see. This little button here is an invisibility booster I installed. That'd get us up in the air, then we fly above the clouds. We'd be there in ten minutes, and no one would be any the wiser. I said no Arthur, not in broad daylight. They reached King's Cross at, across at a quarter to eleven. Mr Weasley dashed across the road to get trolleys for their trunks, and they all hurried into the station. Harry had caught the Hogwarts Express the previous year. The tricky bit was getting onto platform nine and three quarters, which wasn't visible to the muggle eye. What you had to do was walk through the solid barrier dividing platforms nine and ten. It didn't hurt, but it had to be done carefully so that none of the muggles noticed you vanishing. Percy first, said Mrs Weasley, looking nervously at the clock overhead, which showed they had only five minutes to disappear casually through the barrier. Percy strode briskly forward and vanished. Mr Weasley was next. Fred and George followed. I'll take Ginny, and you two come right after us, Mrs Weasley told Harry and Ron, grabbing Ginny's hand and setting off. In the blink of an eye, they were gone. Let's go together. We've only got a minute, Ron said to Harry. Harry made sure that Hedwig's cage was safely wedged on top of his trunk and wheeled his trolley about to face the barrier. He felt perfectly confident. This wasn't nearly as uncomfortable as using flue powder. Both of them bent low over the handles of their trolleys and walked purposely towards the barrier, gathering speed. A few feet away from it, they broke into a run and crash! Both trolleys hit the barrier and bounced backwards. Ron's trunk fell off with a loud thump. Harry was knocked off his feet, and Hedwig's cage bounced onto the shiny floor, and she rolled away, shrieking indignantly. People all around them stared, and a guard nearby yelled, "'What in blazes do you think you're doing?' "Uh, "'Lost control of the trolley,' Harry gasped, clutching his rib as he got up. Ron ran to pick up Hedwig, who was causing such a scene that there was a lot of muttering about cruelty to animals from the surrounding crowd. "Why, "'Why can't we get through?' Harry hissed to Ron. "'I don't know.' Ron looked wildly around. A dozen curious people were still watching them. We're going to miss the train, Ron whispered. I I don't understand why the the gateway sealed itself. Harry looked up at the giant clock with a sickening feeling in the pit of his stomach. Ten seconds. Nine seconds. He wheeled his trolley forward cautiously until it was right against the barrier and pushed with all his might. The metal remained solid. Three seconds. Two seconds. One second. It's gone, said Ron, sounding stunned. The train's left. What if Mum and Dad can't get back through to us? Have you got any muggle money? Harry gave a hollow laugh. <laughs> the Dursleys haven't given me pocket money for about six years. Ron pressed his ear to the cold barrier. Can't hear anything, he said tensely. What are we going to do? I-, I don't know how long it'll take Mum and Dad to get back to us. They looked around. People were still watching them, mainly because of Hedwig's continuing screeches. I think we'd better go and wait by the car, said Harry. We're attracting too much attention. Harry, said Ron, his eyes gleaming. The car. What about it? We, we can fly the car to Hogwarts. But I thought, we're stuck, right? And we've got to get to school, haven't we? And even underage wizards are allowed to use magic if it's a real emergency. Section 19 or something of the restriction of thingy. Harry's feeling of panic turned suddenly to excitement. Can you fly it? No problem, said Ron, wheeling his trolley round to face the exit. Come on, let's go. If we hurry, we'll be able to follow the Hogwarts Express. And they marched off through the crowd of curious muggles, out of the station and back into the side road where the old Ford Anglia was parked. Ron unlocked the cavernous boot with a series of taps from his wand. They heaved their trunks back in, put Hedwig on the back seat and got into the front. Check no one's watching, said Ron, starting the ignition with another tap of his wand. Harry stuck his head out of the window. Traffic was rumbling along the main road ahead, but their street was empty. OK, he said. Ron pressed a tiny silver button on the dashboard. The car around them vanished, and so did they. Harry could feel the seat vibrating beneath him, hear the engine, feel his hands on his knees and his glasses on his nose. But for all he could see, he had become a pair of eyeballs floating a few feet above the ground in a dingy street full of parked cars. Let's go, said Ron's voice from his right. The ground and the dirty buildings on either side fell away, dropping out of sight as the car rose. In seconds, the whole of London lay smoky and glittering below them. Then there was a popping noise, and the car, Har- and the car, Harry and Ron reappeared. "Uh oh," said Ron, jabbing at the invisibility booster. "It's faulty." Both of them pummeled it. The car vanished. Then it flickered back again. "Hold on!" Ron yelled, and he slammed his foot on the accelerator. They shot straight into a low, woolly cloud, and everything turned dull and foggy. "Now what?" said Harry blinking at the solid mass of cloud pressing in on them from all sides. We need to see the train to know what direction to go in, said Ron. Dip back down again, quickly. They dropped back beneath the clouds and twisted around in their seats, squinting at the ground. I can see it, Harry yelled. Right ahead, there. The Hogwarts Express was streaking along below them like a scarlet snake. Due north, said Ron, checking the compass on the dashboard. OK, we'll just have to check it on every half hour or so. Hold on. And they shot up through the clouds. A minute later, they burst out into a blaze of sunlight. It was a different world. The wheels of the car skimmed the sea of a fluffy cloud, the bright sky a bright, endless blue under the blinding white sun. "'All we've got to worry about now are aeroplanes, said Ron. They looked at each other and started to laugh. For a long time, they couldn't stop. It was as though they had plunged into a fabulous dream. This, thought Harry, was surely the only way to travel, past swirls and turrets of snowy cloud, in a car full of hot, bright sunlight, with a fat pack of toffees in the glove compartment and the prospect of seeing Fred and George's jealous faces when they landed smoothly and spectacularly on the sweeping lawn in front of Hogwarts Castle. They made regular checks on the train as they flew further and further north, each dip beneath the clouds showing them a different view. London was soon far behind them, replaced by neat green fields which gave way and turned to wide purplish moors, villages with tiny toy churches and a great city alive with cars like multicoloured ants. Several uneventful hours later, however, Harry had to admit that some of the fun was wearing off. The toffees had made them extremely thirsty, and they had nothing to drink. He and Ron had pulled off their jumpers, but Harry's T-shirt was sticking to the back of his seat, and his glasses kept sliding down to the end of his sweaty nose. He had stopped noticing the fantastic cloud shapes now, and was thinking longingly of the train miles below, where you could buy ice-cream cold, ice-cold pumpkin juice from a trolley pushed by a plump witch. Why hadn't they been able to get onto platform nine and three quarters? Can't be much further, can it? Croaked Ron, hours later, as the sun started to sink into the floor of a cloud, staining its deep pink. Ready for another check on the train? It was still right below them, winding its way past a snow-capped mountain. It was much darker beneath the canopy of clouds. Ron put his foot on the accelerator and drove them upwards again, but as he did so, the engine began to whine. Harry and Ron exchanged nervous glances. It's probably just tired, said Ron. It's, it's never been this far before. And they both pretended not to notice the whining growing louder and louder as the sky became steadily darker. Stars were blossoming, blossoming in the blackness. Harry pulled his jumper back on, trying to ignore the way the windscreen wipers were now waving feebly, as though in protest. Not far, said Ron. More to the car than to Harry. Not far now. And he patted the dashboard nervously. When they flew back beneath the clouds a little while later, they had to squint through the darkness for a landmark they knew. "'There!' Harry shouted, making Ron and Hedwig jump. "'Straight ahead!' Silhouetted on the dark horizon, high on the cliff over the lake, stood the many turrets and towers of Hogwarts Castle. But the car had begun to shudder and was losing speed. "'Come on!' Ron said cajolingly, giving the steering wheel a little shake. "'Nearly there! Come on!' The engine groaned. Narrow jets of steam were issuing from under the bonnet, Harry found himself gripping the edge of his seat very hard as they flew towards the lake. The car gave a nasty wobble. Glancing out of his window, Harry saw the smooth, black, glassy surface of the water. A mile below, Ron's knuckles were white on the steering wheel. The car wobbled again. Come on, Ron muttered. They were over the lake. The castle was right ahead. Ron put his foot down. There was a loud clunk, a splutter, and the engine died completely. "Uh Uh-oh, said Ron into the silence. The nose of the car dropped. They were falling, gathering speed, heading straight for the solid castle wall. No! Ron yelled, swinging the steering wheel around. They missed the dark stone wall by inches as the car turned in a great arc, soaring over the dark greenhouses, then the vegetable patch, and then out over the black lawns, losing height all the time. Ron let go of the steering wheel completely and pulled his wand out of his back pocket. Stop! Stop! he yelled. "'whacking the dashboard and the windscreen, "'but they were still plummeting, "'the ground flying up towards them. "'Mind that tree!' Harry bellowed, "'lunging for the steering wheel, but too late. "'Crunch!' "'With an ear-splitting bang of metal on wood, "'they hit the thick tree trunk "'and dropped to the ground with a heavy jolt. "'Steam was billowing from under the crumpled bonnet. "'Hedwig was shrieking in terror. "'A golf-ball-sized lump was throbbing on Harry's head "'where he had hit the windscreen, "'and to his right, "'Ron let out a low, despairing groan. "'Are you okay?' Harry said urgently. "'My wand!' said Ron, in a shaky voice. "'Look at my wand!' "'It had snapped, almost in two. "'The tip was dangling limply, held on by a few splinters. "'Harry opened his mouth to say "'he was sure they'd be able to mend it up at the school, "'but he never even got started.' At that very moment something hit his side of the car with the force of a charging bull sending him lurching sideways into Ron just as equally heavy a heavy blow hit the roof What's ha- happening Ron gasped staring through the windscreen and Harry looked around just in time to see a branch as thick as a python smash into it the tree they had hit was attacking them its trunk was bent almost double and its gnarled boughs were pummeling every inch of the car it could reach Ah said Ron as another twisted limb punched a large dent into his his door. The windscreen was now trembling under a hail of blows from knuckle-like twigs, and a branch as thick as a battering ram was pounding furiously on the roof, which seemed to be caving in. "'Run for it!' Ron shouted, throwing his full weight against his door, but next second he had been knocked backwards into Harry's lap by a vicious uppercut from another branch. "'We're done for!' he moaned, as the ceiling sagged, but suddenly the floor of the car was vibrating. The engine had restarted. "'Reverse!' Harry yelled, and the car shot backwards. The tree was still trying to hit them. They could hear its roots creaking as it almost ripped itself up, lashing out at them as they sped out of reach. "'That,' panted Ron, "'was close. Well done, car!' The car, however, had reached the end of its tether. With two smart clunks, the doors flew open and Harry felt his seat tip sideways. Next thing he knew, he was sprawled on the damp ground. Loud fuds told him that the car was ejecting their luggage from the boot. Hedwig's cage flew through the air and burst open. She rose out of it with a loud, angry screech and sped off towards the castle, without a backwards look. Then, dented, scratched and steaming, the car rumbled off into the darkness, its rear lights blazing angrily. "'Come back!' Ron yelled after it, brandishing his broken wand. "'Dad'll kill me!' But the car disappeared from view with one one last snort from its, its exhaust. "'Can you believe our luck?' said Ron miserably, bending down to pick up Scabbers the rat. "'Of all the trees, we could have hit. We had to get one that hits back!' He glanced over his shoulder at the ancient tree, which was still flailing its branches threateningly. "'Come on,' said Harry wearily. "'We'd better get up to the school.' It wasn't at all the triumphant arrival they had pictured. Stiff, cold and bruised, they seized the ends of their trunks and began dragging them up the grassy slope towards the great oak front doors. "'I think the feast's already started,' said Ron, "'dropping his trunk at the foot of the front steps "'and crossing quietly to look through a brightly lit window. "'Hey, Harry, come and look. It's the sorting.' "'Harry hurried over, and together he and Ron peered in at the great hall. Innumerable innumerable candles were hovering in mid-air over four long, crowded tables, "'making the golden plates and goblets sparkle. "'Overhead, the bewitched ceiling, which always mirrored the sky outside, "'sparkled with stars.' Though through the forest of pointed black Hogwarts hats, Harry saw a long line of scared-looking first-years filing into the hall. Ginny was amongst them, easily visible because of her vivid Weasley hair. Meanwhile, Professor McGonagall, a bespectacled witch with her hair on a tight bun, was placing the famous Hogwarts sorting hat on a stool before the newcomers. Every year this aged old hat, patched, frayed and dirty, sorted new students into the four Hogwarts houses, Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, "'Ravenclaw and Slytherin. "'Harry well remembered putting it on "'exactly one year ago "'and waiting, petrified, for its decision "'as it muttered aloud in his ear. "'For a few horrible seconds "'he had feared that he was going to be put into Slytherin, "'the house, which had turned out "'more dark witches and wizards than any other, "'but he had ended up in Gryffindor, "'along with Ron, Hermione, and the rest of the Weasleys. "'Last term, Harry and Ron "'had helped Gryffindor win the house championship, "'beating Slytherin for the first time in seven years.' A very small, mousy-haired boy had been called forward to place the hat on his head. Harry's eyes wandered past him to where Professor Dumbledore, the headmaster, sat watching the sorting from the staff table, his long silver beard and half-moon glasses shining brightly in the candlelight. Several seats along, Harry saw Gilderoy Lockhart, dressed in robes of aquamarine, and there at the end was Hagrid, huge and hairy, drinking deeply from his goblet. Hang on, Harry muttered on run, There's an empty chair at the staff table. Where's Snape? Professor Severus Snape was Harry's least favourite teacher. Harry also happened to be Snape's least favourite student. Cruel, sarcastic, and disliked by everybody except the students from his own house, Slytherin. Snape taught potions. Maybe he's ill, said Ron, hopefully. Maybe he's left, said Harry, because he missed out on the defence against the dark arts job again. Or, he might have been sacked, said Ron enthusiastically. I mean, everyone hates him. Or maybe said a very cold voice right behind them. He's waiting to hear why you two didn't arrive on the school train. Harry spun around. There, his black robes rippling in a cold breeze, stood Severus Snape. He was a thin man with a sallow skin, a hooked nose and greasy shoulder-length black hair, and at this moment he was smiling in a way that told Harry he and Ron were in very deep trouble. Follow me, said Snape. Not daring even to look at each other, Harry and Ron followed Snape up the steps into the vast, echoing entrance hall, which was lit with flaming torches. A delicious smell of food was wafting from the great hall, but Snape led them away from the warmth and light down a narrow stone staircase that led into the dungeons. In, he said, opening a a door halfway down the cold passageway and pointing. They entered Snape's office, shivering, the shadowy walls were lined with shelves of large glass jars in which floated all manner of revolting things Harry didn't really want to know the name of at that moment. The fireplace was dark and empty. Snape closed the door and turned to look at them. So, he said softly, the train isn't good enough for the famous Harry Potter and his faithful sidekick Weasley. Wanted to arrive with a bang, did we boys? No, no sir, it was the barrier at King's Cross. It-. Silence, said Snape coldly. "'What have you done with a car?' Ron gulped. This wasn't the first time Snape had given Harry the impression of being able to read minds, but a moment later he understood, as Snape unrolled today's issue of the Evening Prophet. "'You were seen,' he hissed, showing them the headline, "'Flying Ford Anglia mystifies muggles.' He began to read aloud. "'Two muggles in London, convinced they saw an old car flying over the post-office tower. "'At noon, in Norfolk, Mrs. Betty Bayliss.' "'While hanging out her washing, "'Mr Angus Fleet of Peebles reported to police, six or seven muggles in all. "'I believe your father works "'in the Misuse of Muggle Artifacts office,' he said, "'looking up at Ron and smiling still more nastily. "'Dear, dear, his own son.' "'Harry felt as though he'd just been walloped in the stomach "'by one of the mad tree's larger branches. "'If anyone found out Mr Weasley had bewitched the car, "'he hadn't thought of that. "'I noticed.' in my search of the park, that considerable damage seems to have been done to a very valuable wamping willow. Snape went on. That tree did more damage to us than we, Ron blurted out. Silence, snapped Snape again. Most importantly, you are not in my house, and the decision to expel you does not rest with me. I shall go and fetch the people who do have that happy power. You will wait here, Harry and Ron stared at each other, white-faced. Harry didn't feel hungry anymore, he now felt extremely sick. He tried not to look at a large, slimy something suspended in green liquid on a shelf behind Snape's desk. If Snape had gone to fetch Professor McGonagall, head of Gryffindor House, they were hardly any better off. She might be fairer than Snape, but she was still extremely strict. Ten minutes later, Snape returned, and sure enough, it was Professor McGonagall who accompanied him. Harry had seen Professor McGonagall angry on several occasions, but either he had forgotten just how thin her mouth could go, or he had never seen her this angry before. She raised her wand the moment she entered. Harry and Ron both flinched, but she merely pointed it in an empty fireplace where flames suddenly erupted. Sit, she said, and they both backed into chairs by the fire. Explain, she said, her glasses glinting ominously. Ron launched into the story, starting with a barrier at the station, refusing to let them through. So so we had no choice, Professor. W- we couldn't get on the train. Why didn't you send us a letter by Owl? I believe you have an owl, Professor McGonagall said coldly to Harry. Harry gaped at her. Now she said it. They seemed that did seem the obvious thing to have done. I I didn't think. That, said Professor McGonagall, is obvious. There was a knock on the office door and Snape now looking happier than ever, opened it. There stood the headmaster, Professor Dumbledore. Harry's whole body went numb. Dumbledore was looking unusually grave. He stared down his very crooked nose at them, and Harry suddenly found himself wishing he and Ron were still being beaten up by the Whomping Willow. There was a long silence, and then Dumbledore said, "'Please explain why you did this.' It would have been better if he had shouted." Harry hated the disappointment in his voice. For some reason, he was unable to look Dumbledore in the eyes and spoke instead to his knees. He told Dumbledore everything, except that Mr. Weasley owned the bewitched car, making it sound as though he and Ron had happened to find a flying car parked outside the station. He knew Dumbledore would see through this at once, but Dumbledore asked no questions about the car. When Harry had finished, he merely continued to peer at them through his spectacles. "'We'll we'll go and get our stuff,' said Ron in a hopeless sort of voice. "'What are you talking about, Weasley?' barked Professor McGonagall. "'Well, you're expelling us, aren't you?' said Ron. Harry looked quickly at Dumbledore. "'Not today, Mr Weasley,' said Dumbledore, "'but I must impress upon both of you the seriousness of what you have done. "'I will be writing to both your families tonight. "'I must also warn you that if you do anything like this again, "'I will have no choice but to expel you.' "'Snape looked as though Christmas had been cancelled. "'He cleared his throat and said, "'Professor Dumbledore,' "'These boys have flouted the decree "'for the restriction of underage wizardry. caused serious damage to an old and valuable tree. "'Surely acts of this nature. "'It will be for Professor Dumb- M- McGonagall "'to decide on these boys' punishment, Severus,' "'said Dumbledore calmly. "'They are in her house, and therefore her responsibility.' "'He turned to Professor McGonagall. "'I must go back to the feast, Minerva. "'I've got to give out a few notices. "'Come, Severus. "'There's a delicious-looking custard tart.' "'I want a sample.' "'Snape shot a look of a, a pure venom at Harry and Ron "'as he allowed himself to be swept out of his office, "'leaving them alone with Professor McGonagall, "'who was still eyeing them with a wrathful eagle. "'You'd better get along to the hospital wing, Weasley. "'You're bleeding.' "'Not much,' said Ron, hastily wiping the cut over his eye with his sleeve. "'Professor, I wanted to watch my sister being sorted.' ''The sorting ceremony is over,'' said Professor McGonagall. ''Your sister is also in Gryffindor.'' ''Oh, oh good,'' said Ron. ''And speaking of Gryffindor,'' Professor McGonagall said sharply, but Harry cut in. ''Professor, when we took the car, term hadn't started, so so Gryffindor shouldn't really have points taken from it, should it?'' He finished, watching her anxiously. Professor McGonagall gave him a piercing look, but he was sure she had almost smiled. Her mouth looked less thin anyway.'' I will not take any points from Gryffindor, she said, and Harry's heart lightened considerably. But you will both get a detention. It was better than Harry had expected. As for Dumbledore's writing to the Dursleys, that was nothing. Harry knew perfectly well they'd just be disappointed that the Whomping Willow hadn't squashed him flat. Professor McGonagall raised her wand again and pointed it at Snape's desk. A large plate of sandwiches, two silver goblets and a jug of iced pumpkin juice appeared with a pop. You will eat in here and then go straight up to your dormitory, she said. I must also return to the feast. When the door had closed behind her, Ron let out a long, low whistle. I thought we'd had it, he said, grabbing a sandwich. So did I, said Harry, taking one too. Can you believe our luck, though, said Ron thickly, through a mouthful of chicken and ham. Fred and George must have flown that car five or six times and no muggle ever saw them. He swallowed and took another huge bite. Why couldn't we get through the barrier? Harry shrugged. "'We'll have to watch our step from now on, though,' he said, "'taking a a grateful swig of pumpkin juice. "'Wish we'd have gone up for the feast.' "'She didn't want us showing off,' said Ron sagely. "'Doesn't want people to think it's clever, "'arriving by flying car.' "'When they had eaten as many sandwiches as they could, "'the plate kept refilling itself. "'They rose and left the office, "'treading the familiar path to Gryffindor Tower. "'The castle was quiet. "'It seemed that the feast was over. "'They walked past muttering portraits "'and creaking suits of armor and climbed narrow flights of stone stairs, until at last they reached the passage where the secret entrance to Gryffindor Tower was hidden, behind an oil painting of a very fat woman in a pink silk dress. "'Password,' she said as they approached. "Uh," said Harry. They didn't know the New Year's password, not having met a Gryffindor prefect yet, but help came almost immediately. They heard hurrying feet behind them and turned to see Hermione dashing towards them. "'There you are. Where have you been?' "'the most ridiculous rumours. "'Someone said you'd been expelled for crashing a flying car.' "'Well, we haven't been expelled,' Harry assured her. "'You're not telling me you did fly here?' said Hermione, "'sounding almost as severe as Professor McGonagall. "'Skip the lecture,' said Ron impatiently. "'Tell us the new password.' "'It's Wattlebird,' said Hermione impatiently. "'But that's not the point.' "'Her words were cut short, however, "'as the portrait of the fat lady swung open "'and there was a sudden storm of clapping. "'It looked as though the whole of Gryffindor House was still awake.' Packed into the circular common room, standing on the lopsided tables and squashy armchairs, waiting for them to arrive. Arms reached through the portrait hole to pull Harry and Ron inside, leaving Hermione to scramble in after them. Brilliant, yelled Lee Jordan, inspired. What an entrance, flying a car right into the wamping Willow. People have been talking about that for years. Good on you, said a fifth-year Harry had never spoken to. Someone was patting him on the back as though he'd just won a marathon. Fred and George pushed their way to the front of the crowd and said together, ''Why couldn't you have called us back, eh?'' Ron was scarlet in the face, grinning embarrassedly. But Harry could see one person who didn't look happy at all. Percy was visible over the heads of some excited first years, and he seemed to be trying to get near enough to start telling them off. Harry nudged Ron in the ribs and nodded in Percy's direction. Ron got the point at once. ''Got to get upstairs. Bit tired,'' he said and the two of them started pushing their way towards the door on the other side of the room, which led to a spiral staircase in the dormitories. Night, Harry called back to Hermione, who was wearing a scowl just like Percy's. They managed to get to the other side of the common room, still having their backs slapped and gained the piece of the the staircase. They hurried up it, right to the top, and at last reached the door of their old dormitory, which now had a sign on it saying Second Year's. They entered the familiar circular room with its five four-posters hung with red velvet and its high, narrow windows. Their trunks had been brought up for them and placed at the ends of their beds. Ron grinned guiltily at Harry. I know I shouldn't have enjoyed that or anything, but... The dormitory door flew open and in came the other second-year Gryffindor boys, Seamus Finnegan, Dean Thomas and Neville Longbottom. Unbelievable, beamed Seamus. Cool, said Dean. Amazing, said Neville, awestruck. Harry couldn't help it. He grinned too. The next day, however, Harry barely grinned once. Things started to go downhill from breakfast in the Great Hall. The four long house tables were laden with tureens of porridge, plates of kippers, mountains of toast and dishes of eggs and bacon. Beneath the enchanted ceiling, today a dull, cloudy grey. Harry and Ron sat down to the Gryffindor table next to Hermione, who had her copy of Voyages with Vampires propped open against a milk jug. There was a slight stiffness in the way she said morning, which told Harry that she was still disapproving of the way they had arrived. Neville Longbottom, on the other hand, greeted them cheerfully. Neville was a round-faced and accident-prone boy with the worst memory of anyone Harry had ever met. Post you any minute? I think Gran's sending on a few things I forgot. Harry had only just started his porridge when, sure enough, there was a rushing sound overhead and a hundred or so owls streamed in, circling the hall and dropping letters and packages into the chattering crowd. A big, lumpy parcel bounced off Neville's head, and a second later something large and grey fell into Hermione's jug, spraying them all with milk and feathers. Errol, said Ron, pulling the bedraggled owl out by the feet. Errol slumped unconscious onto the table, his legs in the air and a damp red envelope in his beak. Oh no, Ron gasped. It's all right, he's still alive, said Hermione, prodding Errol gently with the tip of her finger. It's not that, it's that. Ron was pointing at the red envelope. It looked quite ordinary to Harry, but Ron and Neville were both looking at it as though they expected it to explode. "'What's the matter?' said Harry. "'She's... she's sent me a howler!' said Ron faintly. "'You'd better open it, Ron,' said Neville, in a timid whisper. "'It'll be worse if you don't. My gran sent me one once, and I ignored it, and... it was horrible!' Harry looked from their petrified faces to the red envelope. "'What's a howler?' he said. But Ron's whole attention was fixed on the letter, which had begun to smoke at the corners. ''Open it,'' Neville urged. ''It'll be over in a few minutes.'' Ron stretched out a shaking hand, eased the envelope from Errol's beak and slit it open. Neville stuffed his fingers in his ears. A split second later, Harry knew why. He thought for a moment it had exploded. A roar of sound filled the huge hall, shaking dust from the ceiling. ''Stealing the car! I wouldn't have been surprised if they'd expelled you! You wait till I get hold of you! I don't suppose you'd stopped to think what your father and I went through when we saw it had gone!'' Mrs. Weasley's yells, a hundred times louder than usual, made the plates and spoons rattle on the table and echo deafeningly off the stone walls. People throughout the hall were swivelling around to see who had received the howler, and Ron sank so low in his chair that only his crimson forehead could be seen. Letter from Dumbledore last night! I thought your father would die of shame! We didn't bring you up to behave like this! You and Harry could both have died! Harry had been wondering when his name was going to crop up, He tried very hard to look as though he couldn't hear the voice that was making his eardrums frob. Absolutely disgusted! Your father's facing an inquiry at work. It's entirely your fault, and if you put another toe out of line, we'll bring you straight back home. A ringing silence fell. The red envelope, which had dropped from Ron's hand, burst into flames and curled into ashes. Harry and Ron sat stunned, as though a tidal wave had just passed over them. A few people laughed, and gradually a babble of talk broke out again. Hermione closed voyages with vampires and looked down at the top of Ron's head. Well, I don't know what you expected, Ron, but... Don't tell me I deserved it, snapped Ron. Harry pushed his porridge away. His insides were burning with guilt. Mr. Weasley was facing an inquiry at work. After all, Mr. and Mrs. Weasley had done for him over the summer. But he had no time to dwell on this. Professor McGonagall was moving along the Gryffindor table, handing out timetables. Harry took his and saw that they had double herbology with the Hufflepuffs first. Harry, Ron and Hermione left the castle together, crossed the vegetable patch and made for the greenhouses, where the magical plants were kept. At least the howler had done one good thing. Hermione seemed to think they had now been punished enough and was being perfectly friendly again. As they neared the greenhouses, they saw the rest of the class standing outside, waiting for Professor Sprout. Harry, Ron and Hermione had only just joined them when the, when she came striding into view across the lawn, accompanied by Gilderoy Lockhart. Professor Sprout's arms were full of bandages, and with another twinge of guilt, Harry spotted the wamping willow in the distance, several of its branches now in slings. Professor Sprout was a squat little witch who wore a patched hat over her flyaway hair. There was usually a large amount of earth on her clothes, and her fingernails would have made Aunt Petunia faint. Gilderoy Lockhart, however, was immaculate in sweeping robes of turquoise, his golden hair shining under a perfectly positioned turquoise hat with gold trimming. Oh! "'Hello there,' Lockhart called, beaming around at the assembled students. "'Just been showing Professor Sprout the right way to Doctor a Whomping Willow, "'but I don't want you running away with the idea that I'm better at herbology than she is. "'I just happen to have met several of these exotic plants on my travels.' "'Greenhouse three today, chaps,' said Professor Sprout, "'who was looking distinctly disgruntled, not at all her usual cheerful self. "'There was a murmur of interest. "'They had only ever worked in Greenhouse one before.' Greenhouse 3 housed far more interesting and dangerous plants. Professor Sprout took a large key from her belt and unlocked the door. Harry caught a whiff of damp earth and fertiliser, mingling with the heavy perfume of some giant umbrella-sized flowers dangling from the ceiling. He was about to follow Ron and Hermione inside when Lockhart's hand shot out. Harry, I've been wanting a word. You don't mind if he's a couple of minutes late, do you, Professor Sprout? Judging by Professor Sprout's scowl, she did mind, but Lockhart said, "'That's the ticket!' and closed the greenhouse door in her face. "'Harry,' said Lockhart, his large white teeth gleaming in the sunlight as he shook his head. "'Harry, Harry, Harry!' Completely nonplussed, Harry said nothing. "'When I heard, well, of course, it was all my fault. Could have kicked myself.' Harry had no idea what he was talking about. He was about to say so when Lockhart went on. "'Don't know when I've been more shocked.' "'Flying a car to Hogwarts. "'Well, of course, I knew at once why you'd done it. "'Stood out a mile. "'Harry, Harry, Harry!' "'It was remarkable how he could show "'every one of these brilliant teeth, "'even when he wasn't talking. "'Gave you a taste of publicity, didn't I?' "'said Lockhart. "'Gave you the bug. "'You got into the front page of the paper with me "'and you couldn't wait to do it again.' "'Oh, no, Professor C.' "'Harry, Harry, Harry,' said Lockhart, "'reaching out and grasping his shoulder. "'I understand.' Natural to want a bit more once you've had the first taste. And I blame myself for giving you that, because it was bound to go to your head. But see here, young man, you can't start flying cars to try and get yourself noticed. Just calm down, all right? Plenty of time for all that when you're older. Yes, yes, I know what you're thinking. It's all right for him. He's an internationally famous wizard already. But when I was 12, I was just as much a nobody as you are now. In fact, I'd say I was even more of a nobody. I mean, a few people have heard of you, haven't they? All that business with he who must not be named, he glanced at the lightning scar on Harry's forehead. I know, I know, it's not quite as good as winning Witch Weekly's Most Charming Smile Award five times in a row as I have, but it's a start, Harry, it's a start. He gave Harry a hearty wink and strode off. Harry stood stunned for a few seconds, then remembering he was supposed to be in the greenhouse, he opened the door and slid inside. Professor Sprout was standing behind a trestle bench in the centre of the greenhouse. About twenty pairs of different coloured earmuffs were lying on the bench. When Harry had taken his place between Ron and Hermione, he said, We'll be repotting mandrakes today. She, she said, We'll be repotting mandrakes today. Now, who can tell me the properties of the mandrake? Nobody. To nobody's surprise, Hermione's hand was first into the air. Mandrake? or Mandragora, is a powerful restorative, said Hermione, sounding as usual, as though she had swallowed the textbook. It is used to return people who have been transfigured or cursed to their original state. Excellent. Ten points to Gryffindor, said Professor Sprout. The mandrake forms an essential part of most antidotes. It is also, however, very dangerous. Who can tell me why? Hermione's hand narrowly missed Harry's glasses as it shot up again. "'The cry of the mandrake is fatal to anyone who hears it,' she said promptly. "'Precisely. Take another ten points,' said Professor Sprout. "'Now, the mandrakes we have here are still very young.' She pointed to a row of deep trays as she spoke, and everyone shuffled forward for a better look. "'A hundred or so tufty little plants, purplish-green in colour, were growing there in rows.' They looked quite unremarkable to Harry, who didn't have the slightest idea what Hermione meant by the cry of the mandrake. "'Everyone take a pair of earmuffs,' said Professor Sprout. There was a scramble as everyone tried to seize a pair that wasn't pink and fluffy. "'When I tell you to put them on, make sure your ears are completely covered,' said Professor Sprout. "'When it is safe to remove them, I will give you the thumbs up. Right, earmuffs on!' Harry snapped the earmuffs over his ears. They shut out, sound completely." Professor Sprout put a pink fluffy pear over her ears, rolled up the sleeves of her robes, grasped one of the tu- tufty plants firmly, and pulled hard. Harry let out a gasp of su- surprise that no one could hear. Instead of roots, a small, muddy, and extremely ugly baby popped out of the earth. The leaves were growing right out of his head. He had pale green mottled skin, and was clearly bawling at the top of his lungs. Professor Sprout took a large plant pot from under the table and plunged the mandrake into it, burying him in dark, damp compost, until only the tufted leaves were visible. Professor Sprout dusted off her hands, gave them all a thumbs up, and removed her own earmuffs. "'As our mandrakes are only seedlings, their cries won't kill yet,' she said calmly, as though she'd just done nothing more exciting than water a begonia. "'However, they will knock you out for several hours.' And as I'm sure none of you want to miss your first day back, make sure your earmuffs are securely in place while you work. I will attract your attention when it is time to pack up. Four to a tray. There is a large supply of pots here. Compost in the sacks over there and be careful of the venomous tentacular. It's teething. She gave a sharp slap to a spiky dark red plant as she spoke, making it draw in the long feelers that had been inching sneakily over her shoulder. Harry, Ron and Hermione were joined at their tray by a curly-haired Hufflepuff boy Harry knew by sight, but had never spoken to. "'Justin, Finch, Fletchley,' he said brightly, shaking Harry by the hand. "'Know who you are, of course, the famous Harry Potter, and you're Hermione Granger, always topping everything.' Hermione beamed as she had her hand shaken. "'And Ron Weasley, wasn't that your flying car?' Ron didn't smile. The howler was obviously still on his mind.' "'That Lockhart's something, isn't he?' said Justin happily, "'as they began filling their plant pots with dragon dung compost. "'Awfully brave chap. Have you read his books?' "'I'd have died of fear if I'd been cornered in a telephone box by a werewolf, "'but he stayed cool and, zap, just fantastic!' "'My name was down for Eton, you know. I can't tell you how glad I am here instead. "'Of course, Mother was slightly disappointed, but since I made her read Lockhart's books, "'I think she's begun to see how useful it'll be to have a fully trained wizard in the family.' After that, they didn't have much chance to talk. Their earmuffs were back on, and they needed to concentrate on the mandrakes. Professor Sprout had made it look extremely easy, but it wasn't. The mandrakes didn't like coming out of the earth, but didn't seem to want to go back into it either. They squirmed, kicked, flailed their sharp little fists and gnashed their teeth. Harry spent ten whole minutes trying to squash a particularly fat one into a pot. By the end of the class, Harry, like everyone else, was sweaty, aching, and covered in earth. They traipsed back to the castle for a quick wash and then the Gryffindors hurried off to transfiguration. Professor McGonagall's classes were always hard work but today was especially difficult. Everything Harry had learned last year seemed to have leaked out of his head during the summer. He was supposed to be turning a beetle into a button but all he managed to do was give his beetle a lot of exercise and it scuttled over the desk uh, avoiding his wand. Ron was having far worse problems. He had patched up his wand with some borrowed sellotape but it seemed to be damaged beyond repair. It kept crackling and sparking at odd moments, and every time Ron tried to transfigure his beetle, it engulfed him in thick grey smoke, which smelled of a rotten egg. Unable to see what he was doing, Ron accidentally squashed his beetle, and with his elbow, and had to ask for a new one. Professor McGonagall was, was not pleased. Harry was relieved to hear the lunch bell. His brain felt like a run sponge. Everyone filed out of the classroom except him and Ron, who was whacking his wand furiously on the desk. Stupid, useless thing. Right time for another one, Harry suggested, as the wand let off a volley of bangs like a firecracker. Oh yeah, and get another howler back, said Ron, stuffing the now hissing wand into his bag. It's your own fault, your wand got snapped. They went down to lunch, where Ron's mood was not improved by, by Hermione, showing them the handful of perfect coat buttons she had produced in Transfiguration. We've got... what have we got this afternoon, said Harry, hastily changing the subject. Defence against the dark arts, said Hermione at once. Why? demanded Ron, seizing her timetable. Have you outlined all Lockhart's lessons in Little Hearts? Hermione snatched the timetable back, flushing furiously. They finished lunch and went outside into the overcast courtyard. Hermione sat down on a stone step and buried her nose in voyages with vampires again. Harry and Ron stood talking about Quidditch for several minutes before Harry became aware that he was being closely watched. Looking up, he saw the very small, mousy-haired boy he'd been try- uh, he'd, he'd seen trying on the Sorting Hat last night, staring at Harry as though transfixed. He was clutching what looked like an ordinary Muggle camera, and the moment Harry looked at him, he went bright red. "All right, Harry," I'm uh, I'm Colin Creevy," he said breath- breathlessly, taking a tentative step forward. "I'm in Gryffindor too." Do you think, would it be all right if, can, can I have a picture, he said, raising the camera hopefully. A picture, Harry repeated blankly. So, so I can prove I've met you, said Colin Creevy eagerly, edging further towards, further forwards. I know all about you, everyone's told me, about how you survived when you-know-who tried to kill you, and how he disappeared, and everything, and how you've still got a lightning scar on your forehead. His eyes raked Harry's hairline. And and a boy in my dormitory said if I develop the film in in the right potion, the pictures will move. Colin drew a great shuddering breath of excitement and said it's brilliant here, isn't it? I never knew all the old stuff I could do was magic till I got the letter from Hogwarts. My dad's a milkman. He couldn't believe it either. So I'm taking loads of pictures to send home to him and it'd be really good if I had one of you. He looked imploringly at Harry. Maybe your friend could take it and I, I could stand next to you. And then could you sign it? "'Signed photos? (laughs) You're giving out signed photos, Potter?' Loud and scathing, Draco Malfoy's voice echoed around the courtyard. He had stopped right behind Colin, flanked as he always was at Hogwarts, by his large and fuggish cronies, Crab and Goyle. "'Everyone queue up,' Malfoy roared to the crowd. "'Harry Potter's giving out signed photos.' "'No, I'm not,' said Harry angrily, his fist clenching. "'Shut up, Malfoy.' "'You're just jealous,' piped up Colin.' whose entire body was about as thick as Crabbe's neck. Jealous, said Malfoy, who didn't need to shout any more. Half the courtyard was listening in. Of what? I don't want a foul scar right across my head, thanks. I don't think getting your head cut open makes you that special myself. Crabbe and Goyle were sniggering stupidly. Eat slugs, Malfoy, said Ron angrily. Crabbe stopped laughing and started rubbing his conquer like knuckles in a menacing way. Be careful, Weasley, sneered Malfoy. "'You don't want to start any trouble, "'or your mummy will have to come and take you away from school.' "'He put on a shrill, piercing voice. "'If you put another toe out of line, "'A knot of sliver in fifth years nearby laughed loudly at this. "'Weasley would like a signed photo, Potter,' smirked Malfoy. "'It'd be worth more than his family's whole house.' "'Ron whipped out his sellotaped wand, "'but Hermione shut voyages with vampires with a snap and whispered, "'Look out! What's all this?' "'What's all this?' Gilderoy Lockhart was striding towards them, "'his turquoise robes swirling behind him. "'Who's giving out signed photos?' "'Harry started to speak, but he was cut short "'as Lockhart flung an arm around his shoulders "'and thundered jovially. "'Shouldn't have asked. We meet again, Harry.' "'Pinned to Lockhart's side and burning with humiliation, "'Harry saw Malfoy slide smirking back into the crowd. "'Come on then, Mr. Creevy," said Lockhart, "'beaming at Colin. A double portrait. "'Can't say fairer than that.' and we'll both sign it for you.' Colin fumbled for his camera and took the picture as the bell rang behind them, signalling the start of afternoon classes. "'Off you go. Move along there,' Lockhart called to the crowd, and he set off back to the castle with Harry, who was wishing he knew a good vanishing spell, still clasped to his side. "'A word to the wise, Harry,' said Lockhart paternally as they entered the building through a side door. "'I covered up for you back there with young Creevy. If he was photographing me too, your schoolfellows won't think you're setting yourself up so much. Deaf to, to Harry's stammers, Lockhart swept him down a corridor lined with staring students and up a staircase. Let me just say that handing out signed pictures at this stage of your career isn't sensible. Looks a tad big-headed, Harry, to be frank. There may welcome a time when, like me, you'll need to keep a stack handy wherever you go, but have a little chortle. I don't think you're quite there yet. They had reached Lockhart's classroom, and he let Harry go at last. Harry yanked his robe straight and headed for a seat at the very back of the class, where he busied himself with piling all seven of Lockhart's books in front of him, so that he could avoid looking at the real thing. The rest of the class came clattering in, and Ron and Hermione sat down on either side of Harry. "'You could have fried an egg on your face,' said Ron. "'You'd better hope Creevy doesn't meet Ginny. "'They'll be starting a Harry Potter fan club!' "'Shut up!' snapped Harry." The last thing he needed was for Lockhart to hear the phrase Harry Potter fan club. When the whole class was seated, Lockhart cleared his throat loudly and silence fell. He reached forward, picked up Neville Longbottom's copy of Travels with Trolls and held it up to show his own winking portrait on the front. Me, he said, pointing at it and winking as well. Gilderoy Lockhart, Order of Merlin, third class, honorary member of the Dark Force Defence League and five times winner of Witch Weekly's Most Charming Smile Award. But I don't talk about that. I don't get rid uh, I didn't get rid of the Brandon Banshee by smiling at her. He wait, waited for them to laugh. A few people smiled weakly. I see you've bought a complete set of my books. Well done. I thought we'd start today with a little quiz. Nothing to worry about, just to check how will how well you've read them, how much you've taken in. When he had handed out the test papers, he returned to the front of the class and said, You have thirty minutes. Start now. Harry looked down at his paper and read Number one. What is Gilderoy Lockhart's favourite colour? 2. What is Gilderoy Lockhart's secret ambition? 3. What, in your opinion, is Gilderoy Lockhart's greatest achievement to date? On and on it went, over three sides of paper, right down to 54. When is Gilderoy Lockhart's birthday and what would his ideal gift be? Half an hour later, Lockhart collected in the papers and rifled through them in front of the class. Hardly any of you remembered that my favourite colour is lilac. I say I say so in Year with a Yeti, and a few of you need to read Wanderings with Werewolves more carefully. I clearly state in Chapter 12 that my ideal birthday gift would be harmony between all magic and non-magic peoples, though I wouldn't say no to a large bottle of Ogden's old fire whiskey. He gave them another roguish r- wink. Ron was now staring at Lockhart with an expression of disbelief on his face. Seamus Finnegan and Dean Thomas, who were sitting in front, were shaking with silent laughter. Hermione, on the other hand, was listening to Lockhart with rapt attention and gave a start when he mentioned her name. But Miss Hermione Granger knew my secret ambition is to rid the world of evil and market my own range of hair care potions. Good girl. In fact, he flipped her paper over. Full marks. Where is Miss Hermione Granger? Hermione raised a trembling hand. Excellent, beamed Lockhart. Quite excellent. Take ten points for Gryffindor and so to business. He bent down behind his desk and lifted a large, covered cage onto it. Now, be warned. It's my job to arm you against the foulest creatures known to wizard kind. You may find yourselves facing your worst fears in this room. Know only that no harm can befall you whilst I am here. All I ask is that you remain calm. In spite of himself, Harry leaned around his pile of books for a better look at the cage. Lockhart placed a hand on the cover. Dean and Seamus had stopped laughing now. Neville was cowering in his front row seat. I must ask you not to scream, said Lockhart in a low voice. It might provoke them. As the whole class held its breath, Lockhart whipped off the cover. Yes, he said dramatically, freshly caught Cornish pixies. Seamus Finnegan couldn't control himself. He let out a snort of laughter, which even Lockhart couldn't mistake for a scream of terror. Yes, he smiled at Seamus. Well, they're not. They're not very dangerous, are they? Seamus choked. "'Don't be sure,' said Lockhart, waggling a finger annoyingly at Seamus. "'Devilish, tricky little blighters they can be.' "'The Pixies were electric blue and about eight inches high, "'with pointed faces and voices so shrill "'it was like listening to a lot of budgies arguing. The mo- "'At the moment the cover had been removed, "'they had started jabbering and rocketing around, "'rattling the bars and pulling bizarre faces at the people nearest them. "'Right then,' Lockhart said, said loudly. "'Let's see what you make of them.' "'And he opened the cage.' It was pandemonium. The pixies shot in every direction like rockets. Two of them seized Neville by the ears and lifted him into the air. Several shot straight through the window, showering the back row with broken glass. The rest proceeded to wreck the classroom more effectively than a rampaging rhino. They grabbed ink bottles and sprayed the class with them, shredded books and papers, tore pictures from the walls, upended the waste bin. Grabbed bags and books and threw them out of the smashed window. Within minutes, half the class was sheltering under desks, and Neville was swinging from the candelabra in the ceiling. Come on now, round them up! Round them up! They're only pixies! Lockhart shouted. He rolled up his sleeves, brandished his wand, and bellowed, "Pescibitzi pestoromi!" It had absolutely no effect. One of the pixies seized Lockhart's wand and threw it out the window too. Lockhart gulped and dived under his own desk. Narrowly avoiding being squashed by Neville, who fell a second later as the candelabra gave way. The bell rang and there was a mad rush towards the exit. In the relative calm that followed, Lockhart straightened up, caught sight of Harry, Ron, and Hermione, who were almost at the door, and said, Well, I'll ask you three to just nip the rest of them back into their cage. He swept past them and shut the door quickly behind them. Can you believe him? roared Ron, as one of the remaining pixies bit him painfully on the ear. He just wants to give us some hands-on experience, said Hermione, immobilising two pixies at once with a clever freezing charm and stuffing them back into their cage. Hands-on, said Harry, who was trying to grab a pixie dancing out of reach with its tongue out. Hermione, he didn't have a clue what he was doing. Rubbish, said Hermione. You've read his books. Look at all those amazing things he's done. He says he's done, Ron muttered. Harry spent a lot of time over the next few days dodging out of sight whenever he saw Gilderoy Lockhart coming down a corridor. Harder to avoid was Colin Creevy, who seemed to have memorised Harry's, Harry's timetable. Nothing seemed to give Colin a bigger thrill than to say, All right, Harry, six or seven times a day, and hear, Hello, Colin, back, however exasperated Harry sounded when he said it. Hedwig was still angry with Harry about the disastrous car journey, and Ron's wand was still malfunctioning, surpassing itself on Friday morning by shooting out of Ron's hand in in charms and hitting tiny old Professor Flitwick squarely between the eyes, creating a large throbbing green boil where it had struck. So, with one thing and another, Harry was quite glad to reach the weekend. He, Ron and Hermione were planning to visit Hagrid on Saturday morning, Harry, however, was shaken awake several hours earlier than he would have liked by Oliver Wood, captain of the Gryffindor Quidditch team. "'What's the matter?' said Harry groggily. "'Quidditch practice,' said Wood. "'Come on!' Harry squinted at the window. There was a thin mist hanging across the pink and gold sky. Now he was awake, he couldn't understand how he could have slept through the racket the birds were making. "'Oliver,' Harry croaked. "'It's the crack of dawn!' "'Exactly,' said Wood. He was tall and burly, sixth year.' and at that moment his eyes were gleaming with a mad enthusiasm. It's part of the new training programme. Come on, grab your broom and let's go, said Wood heartily. None of the other teams have started training yet. We're going to be first off the mark this year. Yawning and shivering slightly, Harry climbed out of bed and tried to find his Quidditch robes. Good man, said Wood. Meet you on the pitch in 15 minutes. When he'd found his scarlet team robes and pulled on his cloak for warmth, Harry scribbled a note to Ron explaining where he'd gone and went down the slight spiral staircase to the common room his Nimbus 2000 on his shoulder. He had just reached the portrait hole when there was a clatter behind him and Colin Creeby came dashing down the spiral staircase, his camera swinging madly around his neck and something clutched in his hand. I heard someone saying your name on the stairs, Harry. Look what I've got here. I've had it developed. I wanted to show you. Harry looked bemusedly at the photograph Colin was brandishing under his nose. A moving black and white cart was tugging hard on an arm Harry recognised as his own. He was pleased to see that his photographic self was putting up a good fight and refusing to be dragged into view. As Harry watched, Lockhart gave up and slumped, panting against the white edge of the picture. "'Will you sign it?' said Colin eagerly. "'No,' said Harry flatly, glancing around to check that the room was really deserted. "'Sorry, Colin. I'm in a hurry. Quidditch practice.' He climbed through the portrait hole. "'Oh, wow! Wait for me! I've never watched a Quidditch game before!' Colin scrambled through the hole after him. "'It'll be really boring!' Harry said quickly, but Colin ignored him, his face shining with excitement. "'You were the youngest house player in a hundred years, weren't you, Harry? "'Weren't you?' said Colin, trotting alongside him. "'You must be brilliant. I've never flown. Is it easy? Is that your own broom? Is, "'Is that the best one there is?' Harry didn't know how to get rid of him. "'It was like having an extremely talkative shadow.' "'I don't really understand, Quidditch,' said Colin breathlessly. "'Is it true there are four balls, and two of them fly around, "'trying to knock people off their brooms?' Yes, said Harry heavily, resigned to explaining the complicated rules of Quidditch. They're called bludgers. There are two beaters on each team, who carry clubs to beat the bludgers away from their side. Fred and George Weasley are the Gryffindor beaters. And what are the other balls for? Uh, Colin asked, tipping down a couple of steps before he was gazing open mouthed at Harry. Well, the quaffle, that's the biggest red one, is the one that scores goals. Three chasers on each team throw the quaffle to each other and try and get it through the goalposts at the end of the pitch. There are three long poles with hoops on the end. And the fourth pole is the golden snitch, said Harry. And it's very small, very fast, and difficult to catch. But that's what the Seeker's got to do, because a game of Quidditch doesn't end until the snitch has been caught. And whichever team's Seeker gets the snitch earns his team an extra 150 points. And you're Gryffindor Seeker, aren't you? Said Colin in awe. Yes, said Harry as they left the castle and started across the dew-drenched grass. And there's the keeper, too. He guards the goalposts. That's it, really. But Colin didn't stop questioning Harry all the way down the sloping lawns to the Quidditch pitch, and Harry only shook him off when he reached the changing rooms. Colin called after him in a piping voice, "'I'll go and get a good seat, Harry,' and hurried off to the stands. The rest of the Gryffindor team were already in the changing room. Wood was the only person who looked truly awake.' Fred and George Weasley were sitting, puffy-eyed and tousle haired next to a fourth-year na- named Alicia Spinnet, who seemed to be nodding off against the wall behind her. Her fellow chasers, Katie Bell and Angelina Johnson, were yawning, side by side, opposite them. "'There you are, Harry. Who kept you?' said Wood briskly. "'Now, I want a quick talk with you all before we actually get onto the pitch, because I spent the summer devising a whole new training programme, which I really think will make all the difference.' Wood was holding up a large diagram of a Quidditch pitch, on which were drawn many lines, arrows and crosses in different coloured links. He took out his wand, tapped the board, and the arrows began to wiggle over the diagram like caterpillars. As Wood launched into a speech about his new tactics, Fred Weasley's head drooped right into Alicia Spinnett's shoulder, and he began to snore. The first board took nearly twenty minutes to explain, but there was another board under that, and a third under that one. Harry sank into a stupor as Wood droned on and on. So, said Wood, "'at long last, jerking Harry from a wistful fantasy "'about what he could be eating for breakfast "'at at this very moment up at the castle. "'Is that clear? Any questions?' "'I've got a question, Oliver,' said George, who had woken with a start. "'Why couldn't you have told us all this yesterday "'when we were awake?' "'Wood wasn't pleased. "'Now, listen here, you lot,' he said, "'glowering at them all. "'We should have won the Quidditch Cup last year. "'We're easily the best team, "'but unfortunately, owing to circumstances "'beyond our control.' "'Harry shifted guiltily in his seat.' He had been unconscious in the hospital wing for the final match of the previous year, meaning that Gryffindor had been a player short and had suffered their worst defeat in 300 years. Wood took a moment to regain control of himself. Their last defeat was clearly still torturing him. So, this year, we train harder than ever before, okay? Let's go and put our new theories into practice, Wood shouted, seizing his broomstick and leading the way out of the changing rooms. Stiff-legged and still yawning, his team followed. They had been in the changing room so long that the sun was up properly now, although remnants of mist had hung over the grass in the stadium. As Harry walked onto the pitch, he saw Ron and Hermione sitting in the stands. "'Aren't you finished yet?' called Ron incredulously. "'Haven't even started,' said Harry, looking jealously at the toast and marmalade Ron and Hermione had brought out of the great hall. "'Wood's been teaching us new moves!' He mounted his broomstick and kicked at the ground, soaring up into the air, The cool morning air whipped his face, waking him far more effectively than Wood's long talk. It felt wonderful to be back on the Quidditch pitch. He soared right around the stadium at full speed, racing Fred and George. "'What's that funny clicking noise?' called Fred, as they hurtled round the corner. Harry looked into the stands. Colin was sitting in one of the highest seats, his camera raised, taking picture after picture, the sound strangely magnified in the deserted stadium. "'Look this way, Harry! This way!' he cried shrilly. "'Who's that?' said Fred. "'No idea,' Harry lied, putting on a spurt of speed that took him away as far as possible from Colin. "'What's going on?' said Wood, frowning, as he skimmed through the air towards them. "'What's that first year taking pictures?' "'I don't like it. He could be a Slytherin spy trying to find out about our new training program." "'He's in Gryffindor,' said Harry quickly. "'And the Slytherins don't need a spy, Oliver,' said George. "'What makes you say that?' said Wood testily. "'Because they're here in person,' said George, pointing.' "'Several people in green robes were walking onto the pitch, "'broomsticks in their hands. "'I don't believe it,' Wood hissed in outrage. i booked the pitch for today. We'll see about this.' "'Wood shot towards the ground, "'landing rather harder than he meant to in his anger, "'staggering slightly as he dismounted. "'Harry, Fred and George followed. "'Flint!' Wood bellowed at the slivering captain. "'This is our practice time. We got up specially. "'You can clear off now.' "'Marcus Flint was even larger than Wood.' He had a lot of trollish cunning on his face as he re- replied, "'Plenty of room for all of us, Wood!' Angelina, Alicia and Katie had come over too. They were no gir- they- There were no girls in the Slytherin team who stood shoulder to shoulder facing the Gryffindors, leering to a man. "'But I booked the pitch,' said Wood, positively spitting with rage. "'I booked it!' "'Ah!' said Flint. "'But I've got a specially signed note here from Professor Snape. "'I, Professor S. Snape, give the Sliverin team permission to practice today "'on the Quidditch pitch!' Owing to the need to train their new seeker. You've got a new seeker? said Wood, distracted. Where? And from behind the six large figures before them came a seventh, smaller boy, smirking all over his pale pointed face. It was Draco Malfoy. Aren't you Lucius Malfoy's son? said Fred, looking at Malfoy with dislike. Funny you should mention Draco's father, said Flint, as the whole Slytherin team smiled still more broadly. Let me show you the generous gift he's made to the Slytherin team. All seven of them held out their broomsticks. Seven, highly polished, brand new, handles and seven sets of fine gold lettering, spelled the words Nimbus 2001, gleamed under the Gryffindor's noses in the early morning sun. Very latest model. Only came out last month, said Flint, carelessly, flicking a speck of dust from the end of his own. I believe it outstrips the old 2000 series by a considerable amount. As for the old clean sweeps... He smiled, nastily at Fred and George, who were both clutching clean sweep fives. Sweeps the board with them! None of the Gryffindor team could think of anything to say for a moment. Malfoy was smirking so broadly, his cold eyes were reduced to slits. Oh look, said Flint, a pitch invasion. Ron and Hermione were crossing the grass to see what was going on. What's happening? Ron asked Harry. Why aren't you playing? And what's he doing here? He was looking at Malfoy, taking in his slivering Quidditch robes. "'I'm the new Sliverin Seeker, Weasley,' said Malfoy smugly. "'Everyone's just been admiring the brooms. My father's bought our team.' Ron gaped, open-mouthed at the seven superb broomsticks in front of him. "'Good, aren't they?' said Malfoy smoothly. "'But perhaps the Gryffindor team will be able to raise some gold and get new brooms too. "'You could raffle off those clean sweep fives. I expect a museum would bid for them.' The Sliverin team howled with laughter. At least no one on the Gryffindor team had to buy their way in, said Hermione sharply. They got in on pure talent. The smug look on Malfoy's face flickered. No one asked your opinion, you filthy little mudblood, he spat. Harry knew at once that Malfoy had said something really bad, because there was an instant uproar at his words. Flint had to dive in front of Malfoy to stop Fred and George jumping on him. Alicia shrieked, how dare you? And Ron plunged his hand into his robes, pulled out his wand, yelling, you'll pay for that one, Malfoy and pointed it furiously under Flint's arm at Malfoy's face. A loud bang echoed around the stadium, and a jet of green light shot out of the wrong end of Ron's wand, hitting him in the stomach and sending him reeling backwards onto the grass. Ron! Ron! Are you all right? squealed Hermione. Ron uh, Ron opened his mouth to speak, but no words came out. Instead, he gave an almighty belch, and several slugs dribbled out of his mouth onto his lap. The Slytherin team were paralysed with laughter. Flint was doubled up hanging on to his new broomstick for support. Malfoy was on all fours, banging the ground with his fist. The Gryffindors were gathered around Ron, who kept belching large, glistening slugs. Nobody seemed to want to touch him. We'd better get him to Hagrid's, its nearest, said Harry to Hermione, who nodded bravely, and the pair of them pulled Ron up by the arms. What happened, Harry? What happened? Is he ill? But you can cure him, can't you? Colin had run down from his seat and was now dancing alongside them as they left the pitch. "'Ron gave a huge heave, and more slugs dribbled down his front. "'Ooh!' said Colin, fascinated and raising his camera. "'Can you hold them still, Harry?' "'Get out of the way, Colin,' said Harry angrily. "'He and Hermione supported Ron out of the stadium "'and across the grounds towards the edge of the forest. "'Nearly there, Ron,' said Hermione, "'as the gamekeeper's cabin came into view. "'You'll be all right in a minute. Almost there.' "'They were within twenty feet of Hagrid's house "'when the front door opened, but it wasn't Hagrid who emerged.' Gilderoy Lockhart, wearing robes of palest mauve today, came striding out. Quick, behind here, Harry hissed, dragging Ron behind a nearby bush. Hermione followed, somewhat reluctantly. It's a simple matter. If you know what you're doing, Lockhart was saying loudly to Hagrid, if you need help, you know where I am. I'll let you have a copy of my book. I'm surprised you haven't got one already. I'll sign one tonight and I'll send it over. Well, goodbye. And he strode away towards the castle. Harry waited until Lockhart was out of sight, then pulled Ron out of the bush and up to Hagrid's front door. They knocked urgently. Hagrid appeared at once, looking very grumpy, but his expression brightened when he saw who it was. "'Been wondering where you'd come to see me. Come in, come in!' thought you might have been uh, Professor Lockhart back again!' Harry and Hermione supported Ron over the threshold and to the one-roomed cabin, which had an enormous bed in one corner, a fire crackling merrily in another, Hagrid didn't seem perturbed by Ron's slug problem, which Harry hastily explained as he lowered Ron into a chair. Better out than in, he said cheerfully, plonking a large copper basin in front of him. Get them all up, Ron! I don't think there's anything to do except wait for it to stop, said Hermione anxiously, watching Ron bend over the basin. That's a, diffi- that's a difficult curse to work at the best of times, but with a broken wand. Hagrid was bustling around making them tea. His boarhound, Fang, was slobbering over Harry. What did Lockhart want to want with you, Hagrid? Harry asked, scratching Fang's ears. Give me a might giving me advice on getting Kelpies out of a well, growled Hagrid, moving a half-plucked rooster off his scrubbed table and setting down the teapot. Like I don't know, I'm banging on about them some banshee he banished. If one word—if it was true—I'll eat my kettle. It was most unlike Hagrid to criticize a Hogwarts teacher, and Harry looked at him in surprise. Hermione, however, said in a voice somewhat higher than usual, I think you're being a bit unfair. Professor Dumbledore obviously thought he was the best man for the job. He was the only man for the job, said Hagrid, offering them a plate of treacle toffee, while Ron coughed squelchily into his basin. And I mean the only one. Getting very difficult to find anyone for the dark arts job. People aren't too keen to take it on, you see. They're starting to think it's jinxed. No one's lasting long for a while now. So tell me, said Hagrid, jerking his head at Ron. "'Whose was he trying to curse?' "'Malfoy called Hermione something. "'It must have been really bad because everyone went went mad.' "'It was bad,' said Ron hoarsely, emerging over the tabletop, looking pale and sweaty. "'Malfoy called her mudblood, Hagrid.' "'Ron dived out of sight again as a fresh wave of slugs made their appearance. "'Hagrid looked outraged. "'He didn't,' he growled at Hermione. "'He did,' she said. "'But I don't know what it means. "'I could tell it was really rude, of course.' It's about the most insulting thing he could think of, gasped Ron, coming back up. Mudbloods, <sighs> Mudbloods a really foul name for someone who was muggle-born, you know, non-magic parents. There are some wizards, like Malfoy's family, who think they're better than everyone else because they're what people call pureblood. He gave a small burp and a single slug fell into the outstretched hand. He threw it into the basement and continued. I mean, the rest of us know it doesn't make any difference at all. Look at Neville Longbottom. He's pureblood and he can hardly stand a cauldron the right way up. And they haven't invented a spell our Hermione can't do, said Hagrid proudly, making Hermione go a brilliant shade of magenta. It's disgusting thing to call someone, said Ron, wiping his sweaty brow with a shaking hand. Dirty blood. See? Common blood. It's bad. It's mad. Most wizards these days are half-blood anyway. If we hadn't married muggles, we'd have died out. He retched and ducked out of sight again. Well, don't blame you for trying to curse him, Ron, said Hagrid, loudly over the thuds of more slugs hitting the basin. But maybe it was a good thing your one backfired. Spet Lucius Malfoy would have had come marching up to school if you'd cursed his son. Least you're not in trouble. Harry would have pointed out that trouble didn't come much worse than having slugs pouring out of your mouth, but he couldn't. Hagrid's treacle toffee had cemented his jaws together. Harry, said Hagrid suddenly, as though struck by a sudden thought, got a bone to pick with you. "'I've heard you've been giving out signed photos. "'How come I haven't got one?' "'Furious, Harry wrenched his teeth apart. "'I have not been giving out signed photos,' he said hotly. "'If Lockhart's still putting that about.' "'But then he saw that Hagrid was laughing. "'I'm only joking,' he said, patting Harry genially on the back "'and sending him face-first into the table. "'I knew you hadn't really. "'I told Lockhart you didn't need to. You're "'You're more famous than him without trying.' "'But he didn't like bet he didn't like that,' said Harry, sitting up and rubbing his chin. "'Don't think he did,' said Hagrid, his eyes twinkling. "'And then I told him I'd never read one of his books, and he decided to go. Treacle toffee, Ron," he added, as Ron reappeared. "'No thanks,' said Ron weakly. "'Better not risk it.' "'Come on, see what I've been growing,' said Hagrid, "'as Harry and Hermione finished the last of their tea. "'In the small vegetable patch behind Hagrid's house "'were a dozen of the largest pumpkins Harry had ever seen.' "'Each was the size of a large boulder. "'Getting on well, aren't they?' said Hagrid happily. "'For the Halloween feast. Should be big enough by then.' What, "'What have you been feeding them?' said Harry. "'Hagrid looked over his shoulder to check that they weren't alone. "'That they were alone. "'Well, I've been giving them, you know, a bit of help.' Harry noticed Hagrid's flowery pink umbrella leaning against the back wall of the cabin. Harry had had reason to believe before now that this umbrella was not all it looked. "'In fact,' He had the strong impression that Hagrid's old school wand was concealed inside it. Hagrid wasn't supposed to use magic. He had been expelled from Hogwarts in his third year, but Harry had never found out why. Any mention of the matter and Hagrid would clear his throat loudly and become mysteriously deaf until the subject was changed. "'An engorgement charm, I suppose,' said Hermione, halfway between disapproval and amusement. Huh, "'You've done a good job on them.' "'That's what your little sister said,' said Hagrid, nodding at Ron. "'Must meet at just yesterday.' Hagrid looked sideways at Harry, his beard twitching. "'Said she was just looking around the grounds, "'but I reckon she was hoping she might run into someone else at my house,' he went to Harry. "'If you ask me, she wouldn't say no to a signed." "'Oh, shut up,' said Harry. "'Ron snorted with laughter, and the ground was sprayed with slugs. "'Watch it!' Hagrid roared, pulling Ron away from his precious pumpkins. "'It was nearly lunchtime, and as Harry had only had one bit of treacle toffee since since dawn,' He was keen to go back to school to eat. They said goodbye to Hagrid and walked back up to the castle. Ron hiccuping occasionally, but only bringing up two very small slugs. They had barely set foot in the hall, the cool entrance hall, when a voice rang out. "There you are, Potter, Weasley." Professor McGonagall was walking towards them, looking stern. "You will both do your detentions this evening." "What? What are you? What are we doing, Professor?" "What? What are we doing, Professor?" said Ron nervously, suppressing a burp. You will be polishing the silver in the trophy room with Mr. Filch, said Professor McGonagall, and no magic Weasley, elbow grease. Ron gulped. Argus Filch, the caretaker, was loathed by every student in the school. And you, Potter, will be helping Professor Lockhart answer his fan mail, said Professor McGonagall. Oh no, can I go and do the trophy room too, said Harry desperately. Certainly not, said Professor McGonagall, raising her eyebrows. Professor Lockhart requested you particularly. Eight o'clock sharp, both of you. Harry and Ron slouched into the great hall, in states of deepest gloom. Hermione behind them, wearing a, well, you did break school rules, sort of expression. Harry didn't fancy his shepherd's pie as much as he'd thought. Both he and Ron felt they'd do- got the worst deal. Filch you can have me there all night, said Ron heavily. No magic. There must be about a hundred cups in that room. I'm no good at muggle cleaning. I'd swap any time, said Harry hollily. I've had loads of practice with the Dursleys answering Lockhart's fan mail. He'll be a nightmare. Saturday afternoon seemed to melt away and in what seemed like no time it was five minutes to eight and Harry was dragging his feet along the second floor corridor to Lockhart's office. He gritted his teeth and knocked. The door flew open at once. Lockhart beamed down at him. Ah, here's the scallywag, he said. Come in, Harry, come in. Shining brightly on the walls by the light of many candles were countless framed photographs of Lockhart. He had even signed a few of them. Another large pile lay on his desk. You can address the envelopes, Lockhart told Harry, as though there was a, this was a huge treat. This first one's to Gladys Gudgeon. Bless her. Huge fan of mine. The minutes, snailed by, Harry let Lockhart's voice wash over him, occasionally saying, hmm, and right, and yeah. Now and then he caught a phrase like, fame's a fickle friend, Harry, or celebrity is as a celebrity does, remember that. The candles burned lower and lower, making the light dance over the many moving faces of Lockhart watching him. Harry moved his aching hand over what felt like the thousandth envelope, writing out Veronica Smevley's address. "It It must be nearly time to leave, Harry thought miserably. Please let it be nearly time. And then he heard something. Something quite apart from the spitting of the dying candles and Lockhart's prattle about his fans. It was a voice. A voice to chill the bone marrow. A voice of breathtaking ice-cold venom. Come, come to me. Let me rip you. Let me tear you. Let me kill you. Harry gave a huge jump, and a large lilac blot appeared on Veronica Smedley's street. What? he said loudly. I know, said Lockhart. Six solid months at the top of the bestseller list. Broke all records. No, said Harry frantically. That voice. Sorry, said Lockhart, looking puzzled. What voice? That. the voice. that voice that said, Didn't you hear it? Lockhart was looking at Harry in high astonishment. What are you talking about, Harry? Perhaps you're getting a little drowsy. Great Scott, look at the time. We've been here nearly four hours. I'd never have believed it. The time's flown, hasn't it? Harry didn't answer. He was straining his ears to hear the voice again, but there was no sound now, except for Lockhart telling him he mustn't expect a treat like this every time he got detention. Feeling dazed, Harry left. It was so late that the Gryffindor common room was almost empty. Harry went straight up to the dormitory. Ron wasn't back yet. Harry pulled on his pyjamas, got into bed and waited. Half an hour later, Ron arrived, nursing his right arm and bringing a strong smell of polish into the darkened room. "'My muscles have all seized up,' he groaned, sinking in his bed. Fourteen times he made me buff up that Quidditch cup before he was satisfied. Then I had another slug attack.' All over a special award for services to the school. Took ages to shift the slime. How was it with Lockhart? Keeping his voice low, so not to wake Neville, Dean and Seamus, Harry told Ron exactly what he had heard. And Lockhart said he couldn't hear it, said Ron. Harry could see him frowning in the moonlight. Do you think he was lying? But I don't get it. Even someone invisible would have had had to open the door. I know, said Harry, lying back in his four-poster and staring at the canopy above him. I don't get it either. October arrived, spreading a damp chill over the grounds and into the castle. Madame Pomfrey, the matron, was kept busy by a sudden spate of colds among the staff and students. Her pepper-up potion worked instantly, though it left the drinker smoking at the ears for several hours afterwards. Ginny Weasley, who had been looking peaky, was bullied into taking some by Percy. The steam pouring from under her vivid hair gave the impression that her whole head was on fire. Raindrops the size of bullets thundered on the castle windows for days on end, the lake rose, the flower beds turned into muddy streams, and Hagrid's pumpkins swelled to the size of garden sheds. Oliver Wood's enthusiasm for regular training sessions, however, was not dampened, which was why Harry was to be found late one stormy Saturday afternoon, a few days before Halloween, returning to Gryffindor Tower, drenched to the skin and spattered with mud. Even aside from the rain and wind, it hadn't been a happy practice session. Fred and George, who had been spying on the Slytherin team, had seen for themselves the speed of those new Nimbus 2001s. They reported that the Slytherin team were no more than seven greenish blurs, shooting through the air like jump jets. As Harry squelched along and deserted the deserted corridor, he came across somebody who looked just as preoccupied as he was. Nearly headless Nick. The ghost of Gryffindor Tower was staring morosely out of a window, muttering under his breath. "'Don't fulfil their requirements, half an inch, if that.' "'Hello, Nick,' said Harry. "'Hello, hello,' said nearly headless Nick, staring and starting and looking around. He, was, he wore a dashing, plumed hat on his long curly hair and a tunic with a ruff which concealed the fact that his neck was almost completely severed. He was pale as smoke, and Harry could see right through him to the dark sky and torrential rain outside.' You look troubled, young potter, said Nick, folding a transparent letter as he spoke and tucking it inside his doublet. So do you, said Harry. Ah, nearly headless Nick waved an elegant hand. A matter of no importance. It's not as though I was really wanted to join. I uh, thought I'd apply, but apparently I don't fulfil the requirements. In spite of his airy tone, there was a look of great bitterness on his face. But you would think, wouldn't you, he erupted suddenly. "'pulling the letter back out of his pocket, "'that getting hit forty-five times in the neck "'with a blunt axe would qualify you to join the headless hunt.' "'Oh, yes,' said Harry, who was obviously supposed to agree. "'I mean, nobody wishes more than I do "'that it had all been quick and clean "'and my head had come off properly. "'I mean, it would have saved me a great deal of pain and ridicule. "'However,' nearly headless Nick shook his letter open "'and read furiously, "'we can only accept huntsmen "'whose heads have parted company with their bodies.' You will appreciate that it would be impossible otherwise for members to participate in hunt activities such as horseback head juggling and head polo. It is with the greatest regret, therefore, that I must inform you that you do not fulfil our requirements. With very best wishes, Sir Patrick Delaney Podmore. Fuming, nearly headless Nick stuffed the letter away. Half an inch of skin and sinew holding my neck on, Harry. Most people would think that's good and beheaded, but oh no, it's not enough for Sir Properly Decapitated Podmore. Nearly headless Nick took several deep breaths and then said, in a far calmer tone, So, what's bothering you? Anything I can do? No, said Harry, not unless you know where we can get seven three Nimbus 2001s for our match against Sli- The rest of Harry's sentence was drowned by a high-pitched mewing from somewhere near his ankles. He looked down and found himself gazing into a pair of lamp-like yellow eyes. It was Mrs Norris, the skeletal grey cat who was used by the caretaker, Argus Filch, as a sort of deputy in his endless battle against students. "'You'd better get out of here, Harry,' said Nick quickly. "'Filch isn't in a good mood. "'He's got flu and some third years accidentally plastered frog brains "'all over the ceiling in Dungeon Five. "'He's been cleaning all morning, "'and if he sees you dripping mud all over the place—' "'Right,' said Harry, backing away from the accusing stare of Mrs Norris, "'but not quickly enough. "'Drawn to the spot by the mysterious power "'that seemed to connect him with his foul cat,' Argus Filch burst suddenly through a tapestry to Harry's right, wheezing and looking wildly about for the rule-breaker. There was a thick tartan scarf bound around his head, and his nose was unusually purple. "'Filth!' he shouted, his jowls a-quiver, his eyes popping alarmingly as he pointed at the muddy puddle that had had dripped from Harry's Quidditch robes. "'Mess and muck everywhere!' "'I've had enough of it, I tell you. Follow me, Potter!' So... Harry waved a gloomy goodbye to nearly headless Nick and followed Filch back downstairs, doubling the number of muddy footprints on the floor. Harry had never been inside Filch's office before. It was a place most students avoided. The room was dingy and windowless, lit by a single oil lamp dangling from the low ceiling. A faint smell of fried fish lingered about the place. Wooden filing cabinets stood around the walls. From their labels, Harry could see that they contained details of every pupil Filch had ever punished. Fred and George Weasley had an entire drawer to themselves. A highly polished collection of chains and manacles hung on the wall behind Filch's desk. It was common knowledge that he was always begging Dumbledore to let him suspend students by their ankles from the ceiling. Filch grabbed a quill from a pot on his desk and began shuffling around looking for parchment. Done, he muttered furiously. Great sizzling dragon bogies, frog brains, rat intestines. I've had enough of it. Make an example. Where's the form? Yes. He retrieved a large roll of parchment from his desk drawer and stretched it out in front of him, dipping his long black quill into the inkpot. "'Name, Harry Potter. Crime!' "'It was only a bit of mud,' said Harry. "'It's only a bit of mud to you, boy, "'but to me it's an extra hour scrubbing,' shouted Filch, "'a drip shivering unpleasantly at the end of his bulbous nose. "'Crime! Befouling the castle! Suggested sentence!' Dabbing at his streaming nose, Filch squinted unpleasantly at Harry, who waited with bated breath for his sentence to fall. But as Filch lowered his quill, there was a great bang on the ceiling of the office, which made the oil lamp rattle. "'Peeves!' Filch roared, flinging down his quill in a transport of rage. "'I'll have you this time! I'll have you!' And without a backwards glance at Harry, Filch ran flat-footed from the office, Mrs Norris streaking alongside him. Peeves was the school poltergeist, a grinning airborne menace, who lived to cause havoc and distress.' Harry didn't much like Peeves, but couldn't help feeling grateful for his timing. Hopefully, whatever Peeves had done, and it sounded as though he'd wrecked something very big this time, would distract Filch from Harry. Thinking that he should probably wait for Filch to come back, Harry sank into a moff-eaten chair next to the desk. There was only one thing on it apart from his half-completed form, a large glossy purple envelope with silver lettering on the front. With a quick glance at the door to check that Filch wasn't on his way back, Harry picked up the envelope and read, Quick Spell. A Correspondence Course in Beginner's Magic. Intrigued, Harry flicked the envelope open and pulled out the sheaf of parchment inside. More curly silver writing on the front page said, Feel out of step in the world of modern magic. Find yourself making excuses not to perform simple spells. Ever been taunted for your woeful wand work? There is an answer. Quickspell is an all-new, fail-safe, quick-result, easy-learn course Hundreds of witches and wizards have benefited from the quickspell method. Madam Z. Nettles of Topsham writes, I had no memory for incantations, and my potions were a family joke. Now, after a quickspell course, I am the centre of attention at parties, and friends beg for the recipe of my scintillation solution. Warlock DJ Prod of Didsbury says, My wife used to sneer at my feeble charms, but one month into your fabulous quickspell course, I succeeded in turning her into a yak. Thank you, quick Spell." Fascinated, Harry thumbed through the rest of the envelope's contents. Why on earth did Filch want a quick spell course? Did this mean he wasn't a proper wizard? Harry was just reading Lesson 1, holding your wand, some useful tips. When shuffling footsteps outside told him Filch was coming back. Stuffing the parchment back into the envelope, Harry threw it back onto the desk. Just as the door opened, Filch was looking triumphant. <laughs> that vanishing cabinet was extremely valuable. "'he was saying gleefully to Mrs Norris. "'We'll have peeves out this time, my sweet.' "'His eyes fell on Harry and then darted to the quickspell envelope, "'which, Harry realised too late, "'was lying two feet away from where it had started. "'Filch's pasty face went brick-red. "'Harry braced himself for a tidal wave of fury. "'Filch hobbled across to the desk, "'snatched up the envelope and threw it into a drawer. "'Have you?' "'Did you read?' he spluttered. "'No,' Harry lied quickly. "'Filch's knobbly hands were twisting together.' If I thought you'd read my private... Not that it's mine, for a friend, but be that as it may, however... Harry was staring at him, alarmed. Filch had never looked madder. His eyes were popping. A tick was going on in one of his pouchy cheeks, and the tartan scarf didn't help. Very well, go, and don't breathe a word, and not not that. However, if you didn't read... Go now, I have to, I have to write up Peeve's report. Go! Amazed at his luck, Harry sped out of the office, up the corridor and back upstairs. To escape from Filch's office without punishment was probably some kind of school record. Harry! Harry! Did it work? Nearly headless Nick came gliding out of a classroom behind him. Harry could see the wreckage of a large black and gold cabinet which appeared to have been dropped from a great height. I persuaded Peeves to crash it right over Filch's office, said Nick eagerly. Thought it might distract him. Was that you? said Harry gratefully. Yeah, it worked. I didn't even get detention. Thanks, Nick. They set off up the corridor together. Nearly Headless Nick, Harry noticed, was still holding Sir Patrick's rejection letter. I wish there was something I could do for you about the Headless Hunt, Harry said. Nearly Headless Nick stopped in his tracks, and Harry walked right through him. He wished he hadn't. It was like stepping through an icy shower. But there is something you could do for me, said Nick excitedly. Harry, would I be asking too much? But no, you wouldn't want... What is it, said Harry? Well, this Halloween will be my 500th death day... A nearly headless Nick,' said nearly no headless Nick, drawing himself up and looking dignified. "'Oh,' said Harry, "'not sure whether he should look sorry or happy about this. "'Right. I'm holding a party down in one of the roomier dungeons. "'Friends will be coming down from all over the country. "'It would be such an honour if you would attend. "'Mr. Weasley and Mrs. Granger could be most welcome too, of course, "'but I dare say you'd rather go to the school feast.' "'He watched Harry on tenterhooks. "'No,' said Harry quickly, "'I'll come.' "'My dear boy, Harry Potter, at my death-day party!' "'And,' he hesitated, looking excited, "'do you think you could possibly mention to Sir Patrick "'how very frightening and impressive you find me?' "Uh, uh, "'Of course,' said Harry. Nearly headless Nick beamed at him. "'A death-day party,' said Hermione keenly, "'when Harry had changed at last and joined her and Ron in the common room. "'I bet there aren't many living people who can say they've been to one of those. "'It'll be fascinating!' "'Why would anyone want to celebrate the day they died?' said Ron who was halfway through his potion's homework and grumpy. Sounds dead depressing to me. Rain was still lashing the windows, which were now inky black, but inside all looked bright and cheerful. The firelight glowed over the countless squashy armchairs where people sat reading, talking, doing homework, or, in the case of Fred and George Weasley, trying to find out what would happen if you fed a filibuster firework to a salamander. Fred had rescued the brilliant orange fire-dwelling lizard from a care-of-magical-creatures class, and it was now smouldering gently on a table, surrounded by a knot of curious people. Harry was on the point of telling Ron and Hermione about Filch and the quickspell course, when the salamander suddenly whizzed into the air, emitting loud sparks and bangs as it whirled wildly around the room. The sight of Percy bellowing, uh, bellowing himself hoarse at Fred and George, the spectacular display of tangerine stars showering from the salamander's mouth, and its escape into the fire with accompanying explosions, drove both Filch and quickspell envelope from Harry's mind. By the time Halloween arrived, Harry was regretting his rash promise to go to the Death Day party. The rest of the school were happily anticipating their Halloween feast. The great hall had been decorated with the usual live bats. Hagrid's vast pumpkins had been carved into lanterns, large enough for three men to sit on, and there were rumours that Dumbledore had booked a troupe of dancing skeletons for the entertainment. "'A promise is a promise,' Hermione reminded Harry bossily. "'You said you'd go to the Death Day party.' So at seven o'clock, Harry, Ron, and Hermione walked straight past the doorway to the packed Great Hall, which was glittering invitingly with gold plates and candles, and directed their steps inside towards the dungeons. The passageway leading to nearly Headless Nick's party had been lined with candles too, though the effect was far more f- far from cheerful. These were long, thin, jet-black tapers, all burning bright blue, casting a dim, ghostly light even over their own living faces. The temperature dropped with every step they took. As Harry shivered and drew his robes tightly around him, he heard what sounded like a thousand fingernails scraping on an enormous blackboard. "'Is that supposed to be music?' Ron whispered. They turned a corner and saw nearly headless Nick standing at a doorway hung with black velvet drapes. "'My dear friends,' he said mournfully. "'Welcome, welcome. So pleased you could come.' He swept off his plumed hat and bowed them inside. It was an incredible sight. The dungeon was full of hundreds of pearly white, translucent people, mostly drifting around a crowded dance floor, waltzing to the dreadful, quavering sound of thirty musical sores played by an orchestra on a black-draped platform. A chandelier overhead blazed midnight blue with a thousand more black candles. Their breath rose in the mist before them. It was like stepping into a freezer. "'Shall we have a look around?' Harry suggested, wanting to warm up his feet." "'Careful not to walk through anyone,' said Ron nervously, "'and they set off around the edge of the dance floor. "'They passed a group of gloomy nuns, "'a ragged man wearing chains, and the Fat Friar, "'a cheerful Hufflepuff ghost, "'who was talking to a knight "'with an arrow sticking out of his forehead. "'Harry wasn't surprised to see that the Bloody Baron, "'a gaunt, staring, slivering ghost "'covered in silver bloodstains, "'was being given a wide berth by the other ghosts. "'Oh no,' said Hermione, stopping abruptly. "'Turn back, turn back, "'I don't want to talk to moaning Myrtle.' "'Who?' said Harry, as they backtracked quickly. "'She haunts the girl's toilet on the first floor,' said Hermione. "'She haunts a toilet?' "'Yes. It's been out of order all year because she keeps having tantrums and flooding the place. "'I never went in there anyway if I could avoid it. "'It's awful trying to go to the loo with her wailing at you.' "'Look, food,' said Ron. "'On the other side of the dungeon was a long table, also covered in black velvet. "'They approached it eagerly, but next moment had stopped in their tracks, horrified.' The smell was quite disgusting. Large, rotten fish were laid on handsome silver platters. Cakes, burned charcoal black, were heaped on salvers. There was great maggoty haggis, a slab of cheese covered in furry green mould, and in pride of place, an enormous grey cake in the shape of a tombstone, with tar-like icing forming the words, Sir Nicholas de mimsey Porpington died 1st of o- 31st of October 1492. Harry watched, amazed, as a portly ghost approached the table, crouched low and walked through it, his mouth held wide so that it passed right through one of the st- stinking salmon. "'Can you taste it if you walk through it?' Harry asked him. "'Almost,' said the ghost sadly, and he drifted away. "'I expect they've left it, let it to rot, to give it a stronger flavour, said Hermione knowledgeably, pinching her nose and leaning closer to look at the putrid haggis. "'Can we move?' "'I feel sick,' said Ron.' They had barely turned around, however, when a little man swooped suddenly from under the table and came into halt in mid-air before them. "'Hello, Peeves,' said Harry cautiously. Unlike the ghosts around them, Peeves the poltergeist was the very reverse of pale and transparent. He was wearing a bright orange party hat, a revolving bow tie, and a broad grin on his wide, wicked face. "'Nibbles!' he said sweetly, offering from a bowl of peanuts, covered in fungus. "'No thanks,' said Hermione. "'Heard you talking about poor Myrtle,' said Peeves, his eyes dancing. "'Rude! <laughs> you was about to, uh, you was about poor Myrtle?' He took a deep breath and bellowed, "'Oi! Myrtle!' "'Oh no, Peeves, don't tell her what I said. She, "'She'll be really upset,' Hermione whispered frantically. "'I didn't mean it. I don't mind her. Uh, "'Hello, Myrtle.' The squat ghost of a girl had glided over. She had the gloomiest, glummest face Harry had ever seen, half hidden behind lank hair and thick, pearly spectacles.' "'What?' she said sulkily. "'How are you, Myrtle?' said Hermione, in a falsely bright voice. "'It's nice to see you out of the toilet.' Myrtle sniffled. "'Miss Granger was just talking about you,' said Peeves, "'slyly in Myrtle's ear. "'Just saying, saying how nice you look tonight,' said Hermione, glaring at Peeves. Myrtle eyed Hermione suspiciously. "'You're making fun of me,' she said, "'silver tears welling rapidly in her small, see-through eyes. "'No, honestly.' "'Didn't I just say how nice Myrtle's looking?' said Hermione, "'nudging in Harry and Ron painfully in the ribs. "'Oh, yeah, 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 she did.' "'Don't lie to me,' Myrtle gasped, tears now flooding down her face, "'while Peeves chuckled happily over her shoulder. "'Do you think I don't know what people call me behind my back? "'Fat Myrtle, ugly Myrtle, miserable, moaning, moping Myrtle!' "'You've missed out Spotty,' Peeves hissed in her ear. "'Moaning Myrtle burst into anguishing sobs and fled from the dungeon.' Peeves shot after her, pelting her with mouldy peanuts, yelling, "'Spotty! Spotty!' "'Oh, dear,' said Hermione sadly. Nearly Headless Nick now drifted towards them through the crowd. "'Enjoying yourselves?' "'Oh, yes,' they lied. "'Not a bad turnout,' said Nearly Headless Nick proudly. "'The wailing widow came all the way from Kent. "'It's nearly time for my speech. "'I'd better go and warn the orchestra.' "'The orchestra, however, stopped playing at that very moment. "'They and everyone else in the dungeon fell silent.' looking around in excitement as a hunting horn sounded. ''Oh, here we go!'' said nearly headless Nick bitterly. Through the dungeon wall burst a dozen ghost horses, each ridden by a headless horseman. They assembled. Clap- they, the assembly clapped widely, wildly. Harry started to clap too, but stopped quickly at the sight of Nick's face. The horses galloped into the middle of the dance floor and halted, rearing and plunging, a large ghost at the front, whose bearded head was under his arm. Blowing the horn, leapt down, left, lifted his head high in the air so he could see over the crowd. Everyone laughed and strode over to nearly headless Nick, squashing his head back onto his neck. Nick, he roared, how are you? Head still hanging in there? He gave a hearty guffaw and clapped nearly headless Nick on the shoulder. Welcome, Patrick, said Nick stiffly. "Livens," said Sir Patrick, spotting Harry, Ron and Hermione and giving a huge fake jump of astonishment so that his head fell off again. The crowd howled with laughter. Very amusing, said nearly headless Nick darkly. Don't mind Nick, shouted Sir Patrick's head from the floor. Still upset we won't let him join the hunt, but I mean, I mean to say, look at the fellow. I think, said Harry hurriedly, at a meaningful look from Nick. Nick's very frightening and, ha, uh, <laughs> yelled Mr. S- Sir Patrick's head. But he asked you to say that. "'If I can have everyone's attention, it's time for my speech,' said Nearly Headless Nick loudly, striding towards the podium and climbing into an icy blue spotlight. "'My late lamented lords, ladies and gentlemen, it is my great sorrow.' But nobody heard much more. Sir Patrick and the rest of the Headless Hunt had just started a game of head hockey, and the crowd was turning to watch. Nearly Headless Nick tried vainly to recapture his audience, but gave up as Sir Patrick's head went sailing past him to loud cheers.' Harry was very cold by now, not to mention hungry. I can't stand much more of this, Ron muttered, his teeth chattering, as the orchestra ground back into action and the ghost swept back onto the dance floor. Let's go, Harry agreed. They backed towards the door, nodding and beaming at anyone who looked at them, and a minute later were hurrying back up the passageway full of black candles. Pudding might not be finished yet, said Ron hopefully, leading the way towards the steps to the entrance hall, and then Harry heard it. Rip. Tear. Kill. It was the same voice, the same cold, murderous voice he had heard in Lockhart's office. He stumbled to a halt, clutching at the stone wall, listening with all his might, looking around, squinting up and down the dimly lit passageway. Harry, what are you... It's that voice again. Shut up a minute. So hungry for so long. Listen, said Harry urgently, and Ron Hermione froze, watching him. Kill. Time to kill. The voice was growing fainter. Harry was sure it was moving away, moving upwards. A mixture of fear and excitement gripped him as he stared at the dark ceiling. How could it be moving upwards? Was it a phantom, to whom stone ceilings didn't matter? This way, he shouted, and he began to run up the stairs into the entrance hall. It was no good hoping to hear anything here. The babble of talk from the Halloween feast was echoing out of the great hall. Harry sprinted up the marble staircase to the first floor, Ron Hermione clattering behind him. ''Harry, what, what are we?'' Sh! Harry strained his ears distantly from the floor above, and growing fainter still, he heard the voice, ''I smell blood. I smell blood.'' His stomach lurched. ''It's going to kill someone,'' he shouted, and ignoring Ron and Hermione's bewildered faces, he ran up the next flight of steps, three at a time, trying to listen over his own pounding footsteps. Harry hurtled round the whole of the second floor, Ron and Hermione panting behind him, not stopping until they turned a corner into the last deserted passage. Harry, what was all that about, said Ron, wiping sweat off his face. I I couldn't hear anything. But Hermione gave a sudden gasp, pointing down the corridor. Look, something was shining on the wall ahead. They approached slowly, squinting through the darkness. Foot-high words had been daubed onto the wall between two windows, shimmering in the light cast by the flaming torches. The Chamber of Secrets has been opened. Enemies of the air, beware. What's that thing? Hanging underneath, said Ron, a slight quiver in his voice. As they edged nearer, Harry almost slipped over. There was a large puddle of water on the floor. Ron and Hermione grabbed him, and they inched towards the message, eyes fixed on the dark shadow beneath it. All three of them realised what it was at once, and leapt backwards with a splash. Mrs Norris... The caretaker's cat was hanging by her tail from the torch bracket. She was stiff as a board, her eyes wide and staring. For a few seconds they didn't move. Then Ron said, ''Let's get out of here.'' ''Shouldn't we try and help?'' Harry began awkwardly. ''Trust me,'' said Ron, ''we don't want to be found here.'' But it was too late. A rumble, as though of distant thunder, told them that the feast had just ended. From either end of the corridor where they stood came the sound of hundreds of feet climbing the stairs and the loud happy talk of well-fed people next moment students were crashing into the passage from both ends the chatter the bustle the noise died suddenly as the people in front spotted the hanging cat harry ron and hermione stood alone in the middle of the corridor a silence fell among the mass of students pressing forward to see the grisly sight then someone shouted through the quiet "'Enemies of the air, beware! "'You'll be next, mudbloods!' "'It was Draco Malfoy. "'He had pushed to the front of the crowd, "'his cold eyes alive, "'his usually bloodless face flushed "'as he grinned at the sight "'of the hanging, immobile cat. "'What's going on here? "'What's going on?' "'Attracted, no doubt, by Malfoy's shout, "'Argus Filch came shouldering his way through the crowd. "'Then he saw Mrs Norris and fell back, "'clutching his face in horror. "'My cat! My cat!' "'What's happened to Mrs Norris?' he shrieked, and his popping eyes fell on Harry. "'You!' he screeched. "'You! "'You've murdered my cat. "'You've killed her. "'I'll kill you. "'I'll... "'Argus!' Dumbledore had arrived on the scene, followed by a number of other teachers. In seconds he had swept past Harry, Ron, and Hermione, and detached Mrs Norris from the torch-bracket. "'Come with me, Argus,' he said to Filch. "'You too, Mr Potter, Mr Weasley, Miss Granger.' Lockhart stepped forward eagerly. "'My office is nearest, headmaster. "'Just upstairs. "'Please feel free.' Thank you, Gilderoy, said Dumbledore. The silent crowd parted to let them pass. Lockhart, looking excited and important, hurried after Dumbledore. So did Professors McGonagall and Snape. As they entered Lockhart's darkened office, there was a flurry of movement across the walls. Harry saw several of the Lockharts in the pictures, dodging out of sight, their hair in rollers. The real Lockhart lit the candles on his desk and stood back. Dumbledore laid Mrs Norris on the polished surface and began to examine her. Harry, Ron and Hermione exchanged tense looks and sank into chairs outside the pool of candlelight watching. The tip of Dumbledore's long, crooked nose was barely an inch from Mrs Norris's fur. He was looking at her closely through his half-moon spectacles, his long fingers gently prodding and poking. Professor McGonagall was bent almost as close. Her eyes narrowed, Snake loomed behind them, half in shadow, wearing a most peculiar expression. It was as though he was trying hard not to smile, and Lockhart was hovering around all of them making suggestions. It was definitely a curse that killed her, probably the transmography and torture. I've seen it used many times, so unlucky I wasn't there. I know the very counter-curse that would have saved her. Lockhart's comments were punctuated by Filch's dry, racking sobs. He was slumped in a chair by the desk, unable to look at Mrs Norris, his face in his hands. Much as he detested Filch, Harry couldn't help feeling a bit sorry for him, though not nearly as sorry as he felt for himself. If Dumbledore believed Filch, he would be expelled for sure. Dumbledore was now muttering strange words under his breath and tapping Mrs. Norris with his wand, but nothing happened. She continued to look as though she had been recently stuffed. I remember something very similar happening in uh, Agudugu, said Lockhart. A series of attacks, the full stories in my autobiography. I was able to provide the townsfolk with various amulets, which cleared the matter up at once. Photographs of Lockhart on the walls were all nodding in agreement as he talked. One of them had forgotten to remove his hairnet. At last, Dumbledore straightened up. "'She's not dead, Argus,' he said softly. Lockhart stopped abruptly, in the middle of counting the number of murders he had prevented. "'Not dead?' choked Filch, looking through his fingers at Mrs Norris. "'But why is she all stiff and frozen?' "'She has been petrified,' said Dumbledore. "'Ah, I thought so,' said Lockhart. "'But how? I cannot say.' "'Ask him!' shrieked Filch, turning his blotched and tear-stained face to Harry. "'No second year could have done this,' "'said Dumbledore firmly. "'It would take dark magic of the most advanced.' "'He did it! He did it!' Filch spat, his pouchy face purpling. "'You saw what he wrote on the wall. "'He found in my office. "'He knows I'm a... I, I'm a... "'Filch's face worked horribly. "'He knows I'm a squib!' he finished. "'I never touched Mrs Norris,' Harry said loudly, "'uncomfortably aware of everyone looking at him, "'including all the Lockharts on the walls. "'And I don't even know what a squib is!' "'Rubbish!' snarled Filch. He saw my quickspell letter. If I might speak, Headmaster, said Snape from the shadows, and Harry's sense of foreboding increased. He was sure nothing Snape had to say was going to do him any good. Potter and his friends may have simply been in the wrong place at the wrong time, he said, a slight sneer curling his mouth as though he doubted it. But we do have a set of suspicious circumstances here. Why were they in the upstairs corridor at all? Why weren't they at the Halloween feast? Harry, Ron and Hermione all launched into an explanation about the Death Day party. There were hundreds of ghosts. They'll tell you we were there. But why not join the feast afterwards, said Snape, his black eyes glittering in the candlelight. Why go up to that corridor? Ron and Hermione looked at Harry. Because... because... Harry said, his heart thumping very fast. Something told him it would sound very far-fetched if he told them he had been led there by a bodiless voice no one but he could hear. Because we were tired and wanted to go to bed, he said. Without any supper, said Snape, a triumphant smile flickering across his gaunt face. I don't think ghosts provided food fit for living people at their parties. We weren't hungry, said Ron loudly, as his stomach gave a huge rumble. Snape's nasty smile widened. "'I suggest, Headmaster, that Potter is not being entirely truthful,' he said. "'It might be a good idea if he were deprived of certain privileges "'until he is ready to tell us the whole story. "'I personally feel he should be taken off the Gryffindor-Quidditch team "'until he is ready to be honest.' "'Really, Severus?' said Professor McGonagall sharply. "'I see no reason to stop the boy playing Quidditch.' This cat wasn't hit over the head with a broomstick. There is no evidence at all that Potter has done anything wrong. Dumbledore was giving Harry a searching look. His twinkling light blue gaze made Harry feel as though he was being x-rayed. Innocent until proven guilty, Severus, he said firmly. Snake looked furious. So did Filch. My cat has been petrified, he shrieked, his eyes popping. I want to see some punishment. We will be able to cure her, Argus. Said Dumbledore patiently. Professor Sprout recently managed to procure some mandrakes. As soon as they have reached their full size, I will have a potion made which will revive Mrs. Norris. I'll make it, Lockhart butted in. I must have done it a hundred times. I could whip up a mandrake restorative draught in my sleep. Excuse me, said Snape icily, but I believe I am the potions master at this school. There was a very awkward pause. You may go, Dumbledore said to Harry Ron and Hermione. They went as quickly as they could, without actually running. When they were a floor up from Flockhart's office, they turned into an empty classroom and closed the door quietly behind them. Harry squinted at his friends' darkened faces. ''Do you think I should have told them about the voice I heard?'' ''No,'' said Ron without hesitation. ''Hearing voices no one else can hear isn't a good sign, even in the wizarding world.'' Something in Ron's voice made Harry ask. ''You do believe me, don't you?'' ''Of course I do,'' said Ron quickly. ''But you must admit it's weird.'' "'I know it's weird,' said Harry. "'The whole thing's weird. "'What was that writing on the wall about? "'The chamber has been opened. "'What's that supposed to mean?' "'You know, it rings a sort of bell,' said Ron slowly. "'I think someone told me a story "'about a secret chamber at Hogwarts once. "'Might have been Bill.' "'And what on earth's a squib?' said Harry. "'To his surprise, Ron stifled a snigger. (laughs) "'Well, it's not funny, really, but as it's Filch,' he said. "'A squib is someone who's been born into a wizarding family "'but hasn't got any magic powers.' kind of the opposite of muggle-born wizards, but squibs are quite unusual. If Filch is trying to learn magic from a quick spell course, I reckon he must be a squib. It would explain a lot, like why he hates students so much. Ron gave a satisfied smile. He's bitter. A clock chimed somewhere. Midnight, said Harry. We'd better get to bed before Snape comes along and tries to frame us for something else. For a few days, the school could talk of little but the attack on Mrs Norris. Filch kept it fresh in everyone's minds by pacing the spot where she had been attacked, as though he thought the attacker might come back. Harry had seen him scrubbing the message on the wall with Mrs. Scour's all-purpose magical mess remover, but to no effect. The words were still gleaming as brightly as ever on the stone. When Filch wasn't guarding the scene of the crime, he was skulking red-eyed through the corridors, lunging out at unsuspecting students and trying to put them in detention for things like breathing loudly and looking happy. Ginny Weasley seemed very disturbed by Mrs Norris's fate. According to Ron, she was a great cat lover. But you hadn't really got to know Mrs Norris, Ron told her bracingly. Honest, honestly, we're much better off without her. Ginny's lip trembled. Stuff like this doesn't often happen at Hogwarts, Ron assured her. They'll catch the nutter who did it and have him out of here in no time. I just hope he's got time to petrify Filch before he's expelled. I'm only joking, Ron added hastily as Ginny blanched. The attack had also had an effect on Hermione. It was quite usual for Hermione to spend a lot of time reading, but she was now doing almost nothing else. Nor could Harry and Ron get much response from her when they asked what she was up to, and not until the following Wednesday did they find out. Harry had been back in potions, where Snape had made him stay behind to scrape tube worms off the desks. After a hurried lunch, he went upstairs to meet Ron in the library and saw Justin Finch Fletchley, the Hufflepuff boy from Herbology, coming towards him. Harry had just opened his mouth to say hello when Justin caught sight of him, turned abruptly, and sped off in the opposite direction. Harry found Ron at the back of the library, measuring his history of magic homework. Professor Binns had asked for a three-foot long composition on the medieval assembly of European wizards. I don't believe it. I'm still eight inches short, said Ron furiously, letting go of his parchment, which sprang back into a roll. "'And Hermione's done four feet seven inches "'and her writing's tiny.' "'Where is she?' asked Harry, g- "'grabbing the tape measure and, rolling, and unrolling his own homework. "'Somewhere over there,' said Ron, "'pointing along the shelves, looking for another book. "'I think she's trying to read the whole library before Christmas.' "'Harry told Ron about Justin Finch Fletchley "'running away from him. "'Don't know why you care. "'I thought he was a bit of an idiot,' said Ron, "'scribbling away, making his writing as large as possible. "'All that rubbish about Lockhart being so great.' Hermione emerged from between the bookshelves. She looked irritable, and at last they seemed ready to talk to them. All the copies of Hogwarts history have been taken out, she said, sitting down next to Harry and Ron, and there's a two-week waiting list. I wish I hadn't left my copy at home, but I couldn't fit it in my trunk with all the Lockhart books. Why do you want it, said Harry? The same reason everyone else wants it, said Hermione, to read up on the legend the legend of the Chamber of Secrets. What's that, said Harry quickly. That's just it. I can't remember, said Hermione, biting her lip and I can't find the story anywhere else. Hermione, let me read your composition, said Ron desperately, checking his watch. No, I won't, said Hermione, suddenly severe. You've had ten days to finish it. I only need another two inches. Go on. The bell rang. Ron and Hermione led the way to History of Magic, bickering. History of Magic was the dullest subject on their timetable. Professor Binns, who taught it, was their only ghost teacher, and the most exciting thing that ever happened in his classes was his entering the room through the blackboard, Ancient and shriveled, many people said he hadn't noticed he was dead. He had simply got up to teach one day and left his body behind him in an armchair in front of the staff room fire. His routine had not varied in the slightest since. Today was as boring as ever. Professor Binns opened his notes and began to read in a flat drone, like an old vacuum cleaner, until nearly everyone in the class was in a deep stupor, occasionally coming around long enough to copy down a name or date and then falling asleep again. He had been speaking for half an hour when something happened that had never happened before. Hermione put up a hand. Professor Binns, glancing up in the middle of a deadly dull lecture on the International Warlock Convention of 1289, looked amazed. Miss, er Granger, Professor, I was wondering if you could tell us anything about the Chamber of Secrets, said Hermione in a clear voice. Dean Thomas, who had been sitting with his mouth hanging open, gazed out of the window, jerked out of his trance. "'Lavender Brown's head came off her arms "'and Neville's elbow slipped off his desk. "'Professor Binns blinked. "'My my subject is a history of magic,' he said in his dry, wheezy voice. "'I deal with facts, Miss Granger, not myths and legends.' "'He cleared his throat with a small noise, "'like chalk snapping, and continued. "'In September of that year, a subcommittee of Sardinian sorcerers.' "'He stuttered to a halt. "'Hermione's hand was waving in the air again. "'Miss Grant, please, sir.' don't legends always have a basis in fact? Professor Binns was looking at her in such amazement. Harry was sure no student had ever interrupted him before, alive or dead. Well, said Professor Binns slowly, yes, one could argue that, I suppose. He peered at Hermione as though he had never seen a student properly before. However, the legend of which you speak is such a very sensational, even ludicrous tale." but the whole class was now hanging on Professor Binns' every word. He looked dimly at them all. Every face turned to his. Harry could tell he was completely thrown by such an unusual show of interest. Oh, very well, he said slowly. Let me see. The Chamber of Secrets. You all know, of course, that Hogwarts was founded over a thousand years ago. The precise date is uncertain. By the four greatest witches and wizards of the age, the four schoolhouses are named after them. Godric Gryffindor, Helga Hufflepuff, Rowena Ravenclaw, and Salazar Slytherin. "'They built this castle together, far from prying Muggle eyes, "'for it was an age when magic was feared by common people, "'and witches and wizards suffered much persecution.' "'He paused, gazed blearily around the room, and continued. "'For a few years the founders worked in harmony together, "'seeking out youngsters who showed signs of magic "'and bringing them to the castle to be educated. "'But then disagreements sprang up between them. "'A rift began to grow between Slytherin and the others.' Sliverin wished to be more selective about the students admitted to Hogwarts. He believed that magical learning should be kept within all magic families. He disliked taking students of Muggle parentage, believing them to be untrustworthy. After a while, there was a serious argument on the subject between Slytherin and Gryffindor, and Slytherin left the school. Professor Binns paused again, pursing his lips, looking like a wrinkled old tortoise. Reliable, historical sources tell us this much, he said but these honest facts have been obscured by the fanciful legend of the Chamber of Secrets. The story goes that Slytherin had built a hidden chamber in the castle, of which the other founders knew nothing. Slytherin, according to the legend, sealed the Chamber of Secrets so that no one would be able to open it until his own true heir arrived at the school. The heir alone would be able to unseal the Chamber of Secrets, unleash the horror within, and use it to purge the school of all who were unworthy to study magic. There was silence, as he finished telling the story. But it wasn't the usual sleepy silence that filled Professor Binns' classes. There was unease in the air, as everyone continued to watch him. Hoping for more, Professor Binns looked faintly annoyed. The whole thing is errant nonsense, of course, he said. Naturally, the school has been searched for evidence of such a chamber many times by the most learned witches and wizards. It does not exist. A tale told to frighten the gullible. Hermione's hand was back in the air. Sir, what exactly do you mean by the horror within the chamber? "'That is believed to be some sort of monster "'which the heir of Sliverin alone can control,' "'said Professor Binns in his dry, reedy voice. "'The class exchanged nervous looks. "'I tell you, the thing does not exist,' "'said Professor Binns, shuffling his notes. "'There is no chamber and no monster.' "'But, sir,' said Seamus Finnegan, "'if the chamber can only be opened by Sliverin's true heir, "'no one else would be able to find it, would they?' "'Nonsense, so oh, flirty!' said Professor Binns in an aggravated tone, if a long succession of Hogwarts headmasters and headmistresses haven't found the thing. But, Professor, piped up Pavati Patil, you'd probably have to use dark magic to reopen it. Just because a wizard doesn't use dark magic doesn't mean he can't, Miss Pennyfeather, snapped Professor Binns. I repeat, if the likes of Dumbledore, but maybe you've got to be related to Slytherin, so Dumbledore couldn't. "'began Dean Thomas, but Professor Binns had had enough. "'That will do,' he said sharply. "'It is a myth. It does not not exist. "'There is not a shred of evidence that Sliverin ever built "'so much as a secret broom cupboard. "'I regret telling you such a foolish story. "'We will return, if you please, to history. "'So solid, believable, verifiable fact.' "'And within five minutes the class had sunk back into its usual torpor.' I always knew Salazar Sliverin was a twisted old loony, Ron told Harry and Hermione as they fought their way through the te- teeming corridors at the end of the lesson to drop off their bags before dinner. But I never knew he started all this pure blood stuff. I wouldn't be in this house if you paid me. Honestly, if the sorting hat had tried to put me in Slytherin, I'd have got the train back home. Hermione nodded fervently, but Harry didn't see anything. His stomach had just dropped unpleasantly. Harry had never told Ron and Hermione that the sorting hat had seriously considered putting him in Slytherin. He could remember, as though it was yesterday, the small voice that had spoken in his ear when he'd placed the hat on his head a year ago. You could be great, you know. It's all here in your head, and Slytherin would help you on the way to greatness, no doubt about that. But Harry, who had already heard of Slytherin House's reputation for turning out dark wizards, had fought desperately. Not Slytherin. And the hat had said, "'Oh, well, if you're sure, better be Gryffindor!' As they were shunted along in the throng. Colin Creevy went past. "'Hi, Harry!' Uh, "'Hello, Colin,' said Harry automatically. "'Harry! Harry! A boy in my class has been saying you're—' But Colin was so small, he couldn't fight against the tide of people bearing him towards the great hall. They heard him squeak, "'See you, Harry!' and he was gone. "'What's a boy in his class saying about you?' Hermione wondered. That I'm Sliverin's heir, I expect said Harry, his stomach dropping another inch or so as he suddenly remembered the way Justin Finch Fletchley had run away from him at lunchtime. People will hear people will hear or believe anything, said Ron in disgust. The crowd thinned, and they were able to climb the next staircase without difficulty. Do you really think there's a chamber of secrets, Ron asked Hermione? I don't know, she said, frowning. Dumbledore couldn't cure Mrs. Norris, and that makes me think that whatever attacked her might not be well human. As she spoke, they turned a corner and found themselves at the end of the very corridor where the attack had happened. They stopped and looked. The scene was just as it had been that night, except that there was no stiff cat hanging from the torch bracket, and an empty chair stood against the wall bearing the message, the chamber has been opened. That's where Filch has been keeping guard, Ron muttered. They looked at each other. The corridor was deserted. Can't hurt to have a poke around, said Harry, dropping his bag and getting to his hands and knees so that he could crawl along searching for clues. Scorch marks, he said. Here, and here. Come and look at this, said Hermione. This is funny. Harry got up and crossed to the window next to the message on the wall. Hermione was pointing at the topmost pane, where around twenty spiders were scuttling, apparently fighting to get through a small crack in the glass. A long silvery thread was dangling like a rope, as though they had all climbed it in their hurry to get outside. Have you ever seen spiders act like that, said Hermione wonderingly. No, said Harry. Have you, Ron? Ron? He looked over his shoulder. Ron was standing well back and seemed to be fighting the impulse to run. What's up, said Harry? I don't like spiders, said Ron tensely. I never knew that, said Hermione, looking at Ron in surprise. You've used spiders and potions loads of times. I don't mind them dead, said Ron. He was carefully looking anywhere but at the window. I just don't like the way they move, Hermione giggled. It's not funny, said Ron fiercely. If you must know, when I was free, Fred turned my, my teddy bear into a dirty grey spider because I broke his toy broomstick. You wouldn't like them either if you'd been holding your bear and suddenly it had too many legs and... He broke off, shuddering. Hermione was obviously still trying not to laugh. Feeling they had better get off the subject, Harry said, Remember all the water on the floor? Where did that come from? Someone's mopped it up. It was here. About here, said Ron, recovering himself to walk a few paces past Filch's chair and pointing. "'Level with this door.' "'He reached for the brass doorknob, "'but suddenly withdrew his hand as though he'd been burned. "'What's the matter?' said Harry. "'Can't go in there,' said Ron gruffly. "'That's a girl's toilet.' "'Oh, Ron, there won't be anyone in there,' said Hermione, "'standing up and coming over. "'That's Moaning Myrtle's place. "'Come on, let's have a look.' "'And ignoring the large out-of-order sign, "'she opened the door. "'It was the gloomiest, most depressing bathroom "'Harry had ever set foot in. "'Under a large cracked and spotted mirror "'was a row of chipped stone sinks.' The floor was damp and reflected the dull light given off by the stubs of a few candles, burning low in their holders. The wooden doors to the cubicles were flaking and scratched, and one of them was dangling off its hinges. Hermione put her fingers to her lips and set off towards the end cubicle. When she reached it, she said, ''Hello, Myrtle, how are you?'' Harry and Ron went to look. Moaning Myrtle was floating on the cistern of the toilet, picking a spot on her chin.'' This is a girls' bathroom, she said, eyeing Ron and Harry suspiciously. They're not girls. No, Hermione agreed. I just wanted to show them how uh, how nice it is in here. She waved vaguely at the dirty old mirror and the damp floor. Ask her if she saw anything, Harry mouthed at Hermione. What are you whispering, said Myrtle, staring at him. Nothing, said Harry quickly. We wanted to ask. I wish people would stop talking behind my back, said Myrtle, in a voice choked with tears. I do have feelings, you know, even if I am dead. Myrtle, no one wants to upset you, said Hermione. Harry only, no one wants to upset me. That's a good one, howled Myrtle. My life was nothing but misery at this place, and now people come along ruining my death. We wanted to ask you if you'd seen anything funny lately, said Hermione quickly. "'because a cat was attacked right outside your front door on Halloween. "'Did you see anything near here Hit that, that night?' said Harry. "'I wasn't paying attention,' said Myrtle dramatically. "'Peeves upset me so much I came in here and tried to kill myself. "'Then, of course, I remembered that, uh, that I'm already dead,' said Ron helpfully. "'Myrtle gave a tragic sob, rose up in the air, "'turned over and dived headfirst into the toilet, "'splashing water all over them and vanishing from sight.' From the direction of her muffled sobs, she had come to rest somewhere in the U-bend. Harry and Ron stood with their mouths open, but Hermione shrugged wearily and said, "'Honestly, that was almost cheerful for Myrtle. Come on, let's go.' Harry had barely closed the door on Myrtle's gurgling sobs when a loud voice made all three of them jump. "'Ron!' Percy Weasley had stopped dead at the head of the stairs. Prefect badge agleam, an expression of complete shock on his face. "'That's a girl's bathroom,' he gasped. "'What were you?' Just having a look around, Ron shrugged. Clues, you know. Percy swelled in a manner that reminded Harry forcefully of Mrs Weasley. Get away from there, he said, striding towards them and starting to chivvy them along, flapping his arms. Don't you care what this looks like, coming back here while everyone's at dinner? Well, why shouldn't we be here, said Ron hotly, stopping short of glaring at Percy. Listen, we never laid a finger on that cat... That's what I told Ginny, said Percy fiercely, but she still seems to think you're going to be expelled. I've never seen her so upset, crying her eyes out. You might think of her. All the first years are thoroughly overexcited by this business. You don't care about Ginny, said Ron, whose ears were reddening now. You're just worried I'm going to mess up your chances of being head boy. Five points from Gryffindor, Percy said tersely, fingering his prefect badge, and I hope it teaches you a lesson. No more detective work, or I'll write to mum. And he strode off the back of his neck as red as Ron's ears. Harry, Ron and Hermione chose seats as far off as possible from Percy in the common room that night. Ron was still in a very bad temper and kept blotting his charm's homework. When he reached absently for his wand to remove the smudges, it ignited the parchment. Fuming almost as much as his homework, Ron slammed the standard book of spells, grade two, shut. To Harry's surprise, Hermione followed suit. Who can it be, though? she said in a quiet voice, as though continuing a conversation they had just been having. "'Who'd want all the squibs and muggle-borns out of Hogwarts?' "'Let's think,' said Ron, in mock puzzlement. "'Who do we know who thinks muggle-borns are scum?' "'He looked at Hermione. "'Hermione looked back, unconvinced. If you're, "'If you're talking about Malfoy... "'Of course I am,' said Ron. "'You heard him. You'll be next, mudbloods. "'Come on, you've only got to look at his foul, rat face to know it's him.' "'Malfoy, the heir of Slytherin,' said Hermione sceptically. "'Look at his family,' said Harry, closing his books too. The whole letter, lot of them have been in Slytherin. He's always boasting about it. They could easily be Sliverin's descendants. His father's definitely evil, though. They could have had the key to the Chamber of Secrets for centuries, said Ron, handing it down, father to son. Well, said Hermione cautiously, I suppose it's possible. But how do we prove it? said Harry darkly. There might be a way, said Hermione slowly, dropping her voice still further, with a quick glance around the room at Percy. Of course, "'It would be difficult and dangerous, very dangerous. "'We'd be breaking about 50 school rules, I expect. "'If, in a nine-month or so, in a month or so, "'you feel like explaining, "'you will let us know, won't you?' said Ron irritably. "'All right,' said Hermione coldly. "'What we'll need to do is to get inside the sliver in common room "'and ask Malfoy a few questions without him realising it's us.' "'But that's impossible,' Harry said as Ron laughed. "'No, it's not,' said Hermione. "'All we'd need would be some polyjuice potion.' "'What's that?' said Ron and Harry together.' "'Snape mentioned it in a class a few weeks ago. "'Do you think we've got nothing better to do in potions than listen to Snape?' muttered Ron. "'It transforms you into somebody else. "'Think about it. We could change into three of the Slytherins. "'No one would know it was us. Malfoy would probably tell us anything. "'He's probably boasting about it in the Slytherin common room right now. "'If only we could hear him.' "'This polyjuice stuff sounds a bit dodgy to me,' said Ron, frowning. "'What if we were stuck looking like three of the Slytherins forever?' "'It wears off after a while,' said Hermione, waving her head in hand impatiently, but getting hold of the recipe will be very difficult. Snape said it was in a book called Mosta Potente Potions, and it's bound to be in the restricted section of the library. There was only one way to get out a book from the restricted section. You needed a signed note of permission from a teacher. Hard to see why we'd want the book, really, said Ron, if we weren't going to try and make one of the potions. I think, said Hermione, that if we made it sound as though we were just interested in the theory, we might stand a chance. Oh, come on. No teacher's going to fall for that, said Ron. They'd have to be really thick.